This is Unfiltered, episode 198 for August 3rd, 2016. All right, back to politics. A rough patch for Donald Trump over the last few days and the Trump campaign arguing that the media is piling on. Take a look at some of these headlines from just the last two days. From the Huffington Post, quote, is Donald Trump hiding a medical condition? From NBC News, Trump's mental state is becoming a campaign talking point. And finally, the Washington Post not parsing any words. Is Trump just plain crazy? Wake up! Yes, wake up! It's it's time to, to wake up from this madness that we call this political season in theater. Oh my goodness. Welcome back again to another edition of Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news that you shouldn't be watching. My name is Chase, running the board this week. Uh, we picked him up. He's a good intern, and his name is Chris. Hey, Chris. Hey there, buddy. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. Well... So yeah. we're, we're over the uh, two-convention hump, uh-huh. and we land on the other side with a full-fledged political storm. Wow. We're going to cover a lot of it, but before we get into the U.S. politics that are crazy that right. I think even our international audience is just sort of aghast at, we are going to cover some interesting uh, cyber news, some, some important terrorism stories, including the new front in Libya. Yes. Uh, we have a few categories of, uh, you know, we like, uh, like, like I, I think I said, was it last week, our steak and potatoes category? That's right. Chase. Yes, yeah. yes. We'll also do a little update on the DNC hack, and then don't just really, we've got a deep dive into all the Trump stuff. We got the weed whacker guy here to help us out with background <laughs> ambiance. Wait, wait, weed whacker? Yeah, it's a big thing in Washington. We're, it's, it's, we just got, it's, There's weed everywhere. It's like it's like the 1930s in New York. We had to bring out <laughs> weed whackers to cut down all the cannabis that's grown all over the place. Oh, there's so much up here. And you know, Chase. Yes, Chris. Of course, I also would be, um, I would be sort of negligent not to mention the overtime this week is amazing. It's epic? It's huge. It's really it's huge. huge. So we just the show today has got so much to ground to cover that we should probably just start. Let's go. You now. know what we like to do at the top of every show whenever we get an opportunity. We love to cyber. We love to cyber, buddy. Uh, so I thought let's start out with something topical, a little fun because we got a lot of heavy stuff to cover this week. And there is a conference going on right now where all the hackers are going to. And, uh, of course, RT's got to send reporters, and she's got some pro tips if you're going to go to DEF CON. If you attend a digital security event, you might want to think which device you take along. RT America correspondent Simone Del Rosario went to Black Hat, a security conference which gathers industry experts and hackers under the same roof every year. Get ready, Chase. But as she found out, it's not that easy to get ready for. When you go to a convention in Las Vegas, a lot of times you have to worry about pickpocketing. Come on into my hotel room. Well, in Black Hat, you have to worry about digital pickpocketing. So before we leave our hotel room, we have to make sure that we're not taking anything that can get hacked by all of the people that certainly have the ability to do so. So I want to take my laptop because I have a lot of work to do, but obviously... That can't go. I like how they Wait. like insert a red X over it. And, and then it's like, let's leave it in your hotel room where it will be more safe. I know, right? <laughs> your phone should not go either. And absolutely do not use charging stations there. So That's actually a good tip, that one. That, that's a great tip. Yeah. Because it can be disguised as a charging yeah, station. Yeah, and have data. Right. We're going to leave that there. 
We brought a burner phone. This is also a good tip. There's a lot of ways to get burner phones that, like, you know, from uh, from our 7-Eleven. Yeah, yeah, and get a Ting SIM, right? Yeah, or, there's like yeah. the Ting sponsor some uh, some of our shows, and they have they have SIMs you can get. You can buy what there's like uh, ones that are just hanging on the shelf at like uh, gas stations. Like, oh yeah, like, I forget what the name is. Like go something track phone, track phone. Yeah, yeah track yeah, phone. Yeah. Uh, so that is such an easy way to go. Plus the battery life so good that you probably won't have to put it on the charger. Yeah, because you're not using any smartphone capability. Yeah. Because it's on a smartphone. So uh, Noah's going, I think Noah's going to DEF CON or something like that, and that's exactly what he's doing. Passport has an RFID chip, so that can't go. That feels a little... All right, first off, now to be fair, they have done RFID tests and stuff, but that being said... I don't know if I'd leave that in my hotel room with my laptop. Maybe if I had a safe, I'd put it in a safe in a hotel room. Yeah. I don't really like bringing... I w- but then again, I wouldn't want to bring my passport to a conference with me either. I wouldn't do that either. Yeah, so yeah. you got to do something. Now, wallet. I took out some cash because the credit cards can easily be hacked as well. Easily, So we're going to take... All, all of right, the credit cards. Right. That is a, I, I call a little bogusness. On I know. This. If you're going to say credit cards can be remotely hacked, because that's what she's implying, <sighs> yeah. you got to substantiate that. And first off, not all not all cards have RFID chips in them, you know, the PayGo systems. A lot of them now have uh, the EMV chips in them, so, you know, it requires... No, I just Cards stop. out of my wallet. Might as well take off your driver's license, too, by the way. Except I'm going to keep one just in case, because I have... An RFID blocker that I can put this card into. They have a green check mark. Check. <laughs> there, now you're safe. To check. protect me. Any kind of tablet, of course, can't go as well. I have a fitness tracker on. That has to stay behind, too. All right, so then she actually goes there and asks one of the people that run the thing. That has like, a cell phone? No, yeah, like, yeah, that like, has a phone. It's like, is all this stuff actually important? Mandalay Bay, where Black Hat's being held. This is Neil Weiler, better known as Grifter, in the circles around here. Uh, Grifter does network operations for Black Hat. And I explained some of the steps that I had to go through to get here while still keeping my personal information secure. Are all of those steps really necessary? It seems kind of like a lot. Yeah, I think that really just depends on the individual. But I think for the most part, people should just kind of calm down. (laughs) There you go. That's all you really need to hear. You panicked too much, lady. You did all that, then he gets there, and she's like, no, it's not really that. Look, that's just just something that helps us market the conference. I actually think there is some legitimacy to it. You know, some of them are really smart, like don't use chargers. That's really smart. You know who is probably there? It's probably FBI vans hanging out with Stingrays. (laughs) You know what Stingrays? Are you familiar with Stingrays? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, these Stingray devices. Tacoma was actually in the news for that. Yep, yep. These Stingray devices are fake cell phone towers, and then also they knock your phone down to uh, less sophisticated bands that also consume more battery, and then they can suck up all kinds of information. Illinois has become the latest state to pass legislation to limit the use of cell phone surveillance by requiring law enforcement to obtain a warrant before using cell site simulators, or stingrays as they're called. Here to explain the constitutional implications of this is legal analyst Lionel of LionelMedia.com. And the supporters can watch the rest of that clip in the sink. I have the entire one intact if you want, but I actually just wanted to get that headline out there. I thought that was kind of particularly interesting is... Look at that, a warrant, Chase. Yeah. What an idea. Hey. Maybe that'll be a trend that takes off. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Fair let's, enough. Let's shift gears over to terrorism, which unfortunately those Fair stingrays are not really used for. They're just used for common crimes. And uh, we should probably start with the most topical terrorism potential issue, and that would be the Olympics over in Brazil. That's our. That's the top of our terrorism this watch list. Friday, yeah, and Marty. actually some of the events start tomorrow. Yeah, I think this clip uh, soccer is, does. I believe this clip is from yesterday? Because a major concern in Brazil, where the Summer Olympics began Friday, 
Security is another. ISIS has called for attacks during the games, and Brazil's government is now working closely with the U.S. to bolster its preparations. Ben Tracy is in Rio. A shootout on a Rio subway in Olympic tourists running for their lives. What? This is just a training exercise. Oh. <laughs> Wait, I just, I'm sorry to laugh at this because it's a serious situation. However, you go from Charlie to right to Rio and the first thing, the first cut is a guy in a machine gun. They try to shock you. They, oh, they, my they, God. They, it's so obvious, too. On a Rio subway in Olympic tourists running for their lives. This is just a training exercise, but the security concerns are real. At Rio's main airport, where athletes and spectators are now arriving, soldiers with automatic weapons are standing guard. Last month, Brazilian authorities, with help from the FBI, arrested 12 people suspected of plotting ISIS-inspired attacks on the games. And now we have this... The FBI, you know, isn't it great that we have a worldwide police force that helps people everywhere? Well, to be fair, they came and asked us for assistance, Oh, of course, and we have the world police we can send to help. The security crisis. America. uh, Right before the Olympics. Robert Mugga is a security expert based in Rio. He says Brazil's massive recession could impact the ability to fight both terrorism and crime. More than $550 million was shaved off the public security budget in 2016 at precisely the moment when we need to really amp up security. Already this summer, shootouts have shut down major city streets. Gunmen stormed a hospital to free a suspected drug trafficker and killed a patient. We went on patrol with Rio's police in one of the many neighborhoods where they have worked to regain control from drug traffickers. Do you think the people coming here for the Olympics have anything to worry about? Now, it's interesting because they're kind of conflating two problems here. The drug trafficking problem and ISIS terrorism are not actually related. No, and they're not it, one of the same. They're using the threat of one to amp up the threat of the right. other. This commander says more tourists could lead to more street crime, such as these brazen midday thefts captured on video. That seems possible, but 47,000 yeah. police officers... That's a huge problem everywhere. In Paris, that's oh, a yeah. massive problem. Pick po- getting your pocket picked or whatever, you know, that's like an art in Paris. Like, that's a thing. And 38,000 soldiers are now on duty in Rio. That's double the security force of the 2012 London Olympics. And Rio opened this new joint security operations center today. In fact, there are 55 different law enforcement agencies and intelligence agencies that are going to set up shop in Rio for the Olympics to work with the federal police and the military police. I'll tell you this, if there is a terrorism attack, that is a colossal failure on the part of 55 different agencies. No, 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 Chris, be careful with that, because what will happen then is they'll say, well, well, that's just because, you know, they're using encrypted transmissions and we don't need a haystack and, you know, we need a back door and the intelligence services here. Juliana Doherty brought her family from Vermont to see the Olympics. Wow. Are you at all worried being here with your family? I'm not. No? No. I, uh, I think it's dangerous anywhere. I mean, he's like, well, darn it, we're trying real hard to scare you here. Well, to be fair, they didn't even have to use her clip. No, they didn't, no. Uh, I love that, though. I love the whole scare you got to do. There's like, a, there's like a pattern we go through now before the Olympics, and I'll do another round of uh, coverage in the overtime. But in the meantime, you know, there is a massive threat to defeating ISIS because as we crush ISIS, some will slip through the cracks and come home and strike. Yeah! This offense shows up your spine, a terrifying and dark warning from the head of the FBI. 
FBI Director James Comey saying destroying ISIS on the battlefield could actually lead to an increase, yes, an increase in terror attacks. At some point, there's going to be a terrorist diaspora out of Syria. A diaspora, buddy. Like wow. we've never seen before. Not all of the Islamic State's killers are going to die on the battlefield. Hundreds and hundreds of them, when the coalition succeeds, and I'm confident it will, in crushing the Islamic State, through the fingers of that crush are going to come hundreds of really dangerous people. Oh! Wow, hundreds. And they're going to flow out primarily towards Western Europe, but we might as well be right next door to... Yeah, because, you know, those oceans. Western Europe, given the ease with which people can travel. And this is an order of magnitude greater than any diaspora we've seen before. Wait, wait, how could there be ease of travel? Uh, because, you know, we have these lists that are thoroughly vetted. Right, and the TSA. And, you know, it's it's a position yeah. of elitism uh, in uh, government officials because they're so rich. And their travel, rich in the sense of, like, uh, political access and, and access to travel and air flight, that to them the paradigm seems so simple. We'll just get on a plane and come over here. Like, I, I as a U.S. citizen, couldn't even pull that off. Like, no. it's, it's unbelievable the, the, the way they, oh, yeah, you just get on a plane and fly over here. Yeah. Uh, now, this is interesting. You know, we always got to watch out for them homegrown terrorists because you never know when they could strike, like maybe convert a transit cop. Federal authorities arrested a Washington, D.C. area transit police officer accusing him of try to, trying to help ISIS. Investigators say Metro Transit Police Department officer Nicholas Young tried to help ISIS operatives communicate in secret. They say he purchased gift cards and intended to give them to ISIS operatives so that they could buy mobile apps to communicate. <laughs> this is the problem. Young actually gave the gift cards to an undercover FBI source. That is amazing. So the FBI, the FBI propositioned him to get to go out and buy these gift cards and give them to them. The FBI got this guy to give them these cards to claim this so they could buy apps. So like they got iTunes gift cards or, or Google Play cards, which perhaps maybe yeah. these companies were now were involved at some level for uh, you know revealing this information when trying to purchase the apps. So what communications apps are they buying? What 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 apps? Yeah, do you what have do you buy? have to purchase? Right. Yeah. I thought they all used Telegram according to the yeah. FBI. So that was interesting. Oh, it's ad-free versions of some of these other apps. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah sure. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. premium version plus yeah. plus. Yeah. Now the situation in Syria isn't getting talked a lot about with all of the. Uh, political hijinks, but here is one update we have for U.S. You. is stepping up attacks against ISIS targets in Libya. At least three more strikes launched today from a Navy ship stationed off the Libyan coast. The operation now named Odyssey Lightning. Odyssey Lightning, buddy. Odyssey Lightning. Oh, man, that's good. Is, I, that, a, is that a drink? Hoorah, buddy. That sounds like a mission of freedom. Odyssey Lightning. I like I that a lot. I can have a drink of Odyssey Lightning yeah, right now. What would, would that be like Sprite and Red Bull? Or uh, what Sprite, would Red Bull, and a shot of fire ball in there. <laughs> yes, dude, totally. That's, right. That's the new, uh, that is the new Odyssey drink. Lightning. <laughs> now named Odyssey Lightning, combined with others in the region, has some experts wondering whether President Obama is trying to give Hillary Clinton as much of a clean slate overseas oh. as possible. I like this theory. Look at Fox News frying a little bacon. I don't know where mm. they get their bacon from. Yeah, I don't know. But I like this. The idea that we're going in, we're doing, we're, we're cleaning up so that way when Hill Dog walks in, she doesn't have such a mess on her hands. Could she win the November election. It's also very pessimistic of the right-leaning uh, Brett Baer to just assume that Hillary's going to win. That's also something implied in that. You, you, well, you know it's bad when they, they don't even like Trump. <laughs> well, I, well. He, seems, he seems to, but it seems to be like this week has just been a bad week for Trump, and I think it's just influencing the way people think. Milk was a bad choice. Late <laughs> overseas as possible should she win the November election. 
Chief Washington correspondent James Rosen looks at the Obama offensive and the reasons behind it. The Obama offensive. Jets like these spent a second day striking ISIS targets in the coastal Libyan city of Sirte. Now, Fox News has been one of the strongest proponents of Obama being more aggressive in Syria and and in military intervention. And now that he's doing it, now he's doing. Now that he's doing it, yeah. well, he's a dick because he's doing it for Hillary. <laughs> right. Yeah. Halfway between Tripoli and Benghazi, President Obama told reporters the fledgling government of National Accord in Libya, or GNA, has effectively pinned down ISIS fighters in the country. So this is a really important point. The GNA government is the UN-recognized government, not necessarily the government that's recognized by the people. And this is a major disconnect here. We have a fractured government in Libya, only one of which is backed by the UN. I wonder why. Right. And they're the ones requesting our help. But this government isn't necessarily recognized by the people of Libya. That's a gray area. Right. And he implied that the strikes, expected to last 30 days, will help the GNA destroy the terror group on the ground. It is in America's national security interests in our fight against ISIL to make sure that uh, they're able to finish the job. And so we're working in partnership with them uh, to assure that ISIL does not get a stronghold uh, in Libya. Yet Mr. Obama's own aides have acknowledged that ISIS already has a stronghold in Libya. CIA Director John Brennan testified in June that the five to 8,000 ISIS fighters in Libya make that branch, quote, the most developed and the most dangerous outside of the caliphate in Iraq and Syria. They're able to train, develop, and to uh, consolidate their position inside of Libya, as well as to use Libya as a potential springboard for carrying out operations abroad. See, Fox News plays like this is uh, goes against what Obama said, but really, this just supports Obama's reasoning for going into Libya. Totally. That is very concerning, particularly since Libya is right across from Europe in the Mediterranean, with refugee flows that are going there. Yeah, they just put their Toyotas on the boats and they go over. <laughs> Five years after a U.S.-led military campaign toppled Muammar Gaddafi from power, President Obama accepted a measure of blame for the chaos in Libya. I think that all of us collectively uh, were not sufficiently attentive to what had to happen the day after and the day after and the day after that. Critics of the president said his widening of U.S. airstrikes reflects an incoherent Mideast strategy. So, yeah, damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. But what right. I find to be kind of interesting about this whole problem is if you accept the narrative that uh, we're, we're, we're stopping ISIS over there and that ISIS is super developed, are we, are we just ignoring the terror group that struck us in Benghazi and the CIA annex? Are we just pretending like the people that, that uh, we, we hired and helped – and France and, and other NATO members – helped empower to topple Gaddafi? Are we just pretending like that group is gone an entirely new group of people have just jumped boats from Syria and come over here with their Toyotas. And, right, and just don't even acknowledge it. It's totally separate. That's a totally right. separate. Yeah. And so yeah, now right. we're going yeah. in. Yeah. This is it seems so obvious that we started some shit a few years ago or uh, maybe not even started. That's probably that that would be the wrong way to put it. We we accelerated some stuff that was going down. We got we got interested with some parties down there and the people, the groups that we played with are still around. And not all of them want to play ball. And so – but we just sort of blanket label everybody as ISIS. Right. It's like the blanket – everybody used to be al-Qaeda. Now everybody's ISIS. Now if this, if this was when Bush was in office, that would be al-Qaeda down there. It would be al-Qaeda. It would be al-Qaeda. And it would be maybe Bush – it would be uh, bin Laden's brother or something. I mean like it's just a new brand name. Yeah, totally. And so we're going in. We're, and we'll do more analysis in the overtime 
Uh, I do want to go back to uh, Syria just for a moment because there was a chemical weapons attack. Chemical attacks have reportedly taken place in northern Syria. One occurred in the government-controlled part of the city of Aleppo. The other in the rebel-held territory of Sorakib in the province of Idlib, just south West so of two attacks. Aleppo. Now, at least five people have been killed and more than a dozen injured in Aleppo, which is Syria's largest city. So on the government uh, Assad-controlled side, uh, five are dead, 14 injured. On the rebel-controlled area, no fatalities reported, but 30 injured. The unverified footage on the right allegedly shows the aftermath of a similar attack overnight in a residential area of Sorakib. More than 20 people were injured there when chlorine gas was reportedly dumped from a helicopter. So I expect we'll have more news about that wow. next week if that gets picked up. That seems to be like a big deal. Yeah. Uh, well, he's really, they're still working out there on the weeds. That's nice. Well, we got a lot of weed up yeah, here. Yeah, a lot, buddy. A lot. A lot. So, hey, man, do yeah. you, uh, you remember, oh gosh, I can't, I think it was January, the, uh, the Iran deal finally finalized and yep. uh, we got the prisoner swap. And uh, we released some money to Iran. Not a bunch of money, but we released some money. We began yep. to release money. And uh, some people at the time were like, did we just pay Iran to hand over our hostages? Because the United States doesn't do that. Right. And no, no, no. This, is, this was an arms deal that went bad like 25, 30 years ago. This is some money we owe them. This wasn't to release the hostages. No bigs. And I was like, okay, well, that, that thing has been around since like the 70s. It sounds legit. Okay, well, yeah. All we right, we'll move you. on. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. It turns out some documents have been released. There are new questions oh. this morning about the Obama administration's dealings with Iran after a reported $400 million cash payment to Tehran. <clears throat> the Wall Street Journal first reported the payout last night. It happened in January, around the same time that four Americans detained in Iran were released. Margaret Brennan is at the White House with what with why one lawmaker calls this ransom. Mar- this is this is how you know it was ransom. And this is how you know this is legit, because this is by definition how politicians work. It's a classic example. You you, you think that we just had this uh, debt that we owed to Iran sitting around that we refused yeah. to pay all this time for no reason. No, ladies and gentlemen, it's called leverage. And so we had leverage when we needed it with Iran. And it is legitimately something we owed them. There was an ex- there was an existing uh, arms deal that went through that failed, that dropped out. It was part of a process. This money was due back to them. It's, it's So when they say with the money that we released was not ransom, the money we released was was something owed to them, that's technically true. But you see, the timing is truly what matters in this situation. It's They released that money at the same time they needed the hostages, and that's no coincidence. Margaret, good morning. Good morning. Well, the Obama administration has long said that a nearly $2 billion settlement with Iran was unrelated to the prisoner release, even though they happened at the same time and also coincided with the implementation of that landmark deal to freeze Iran's nuclear program. When Iran released four American prisoners in January, including journalist Jason Rezaian and former Marine Amir Hekmati, it was heralded as a diplomatic breakthrough. A coalition of congressmen met three of the Americans in Germany at Landstuhl Regional Medical Center. We paid a price in a major way to bring them home. The administration strongly denied paying any ransom. But according to new details first reported by the Wall Street Journal, $400 million in cash was flown into Tehran on a cargo plane around the same time that the Americans were handed over. A plane full of cash stacked to the ceiling in this plane. Wow. Flown to them. Now, how shady is that? Not a wire transfer. We've been sitting on this money since 1979. 
and we just decided to do a little $400 million down payment in unmarked bills stacked to the ceiling in an airplane. Wow. Americans were handed over. It was loaded with euros, Swiss francs, and other currencies. Oh! Since any transaction with Iran in dollars is illegal. Isn't that interesting? Wow. I did not catch that before. So I want to play that back because that is also shows obvious intention, I think. That is, that's brilliant. Was flown into Tehran on a cargo plane around the same time that the Americans were handed over. So they don't even, okay, so this is beautiful. So they, uh, at the same time the Americans are being handed over, they fly this plane, stacked full of cash to the ceiling in, in, in anything but dollars. This is great, buddy. It was loaded with euros, Swiss <laughs> francs, wow. and other currencies. Yeah. Since any transaction with Iran in dollars is illegal under U.S. law. Of course. Senior U.S. officials claim the timing was coincidental. That's all. And just the first payment of a separate $1.7 billion settlement. Now, this was hands down, without a question, negotiating with terrorists. This was negotiating to get our hostages released. The timing is no accident. That down payment was to get the ball rolling. And the Obama administration right there got caught negotiating with terrorists. Wow. Let that sink in. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk. Do you want to talk about the DNC hack first, or do you want to stop and uh, thank the patrons? What do you feel like doing? Uh, let's talk about the DNC hack real quick. All right, buddy. So I got a new theory for you on who hacked the DNC. But it's the Russians, Chris. Is it the Russians, Chase? <gasps> Is it the Russians? Is it? Well, a former NSA whistleblower thinks it might be somebody else. Uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano to talk the about judge. Judge, you right. know uh, Bill Benny, William Benny, former NSA official. We've talked about uh, William Benny on the show lots before. The architect of the NSA surveillance program. Yes. He says that the person, as it turns out, despite what the DNC and uh, Democrats are saying, it was not Russia that hacked the DNC. Uh, it was perhaps an official, it was somebody from the NSA, who is angry about the fact that she was using personal email server, which violated what is called gamma material, which is the most sensitive at the NSA. Do you believe that? I got even more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my own bacon into this pile right here. Just got a little bit. You I know what? I, I, I thought I came from inside the beltway. This is from Washington, D.C. Good bacon. Yeah, this is what I think. Yeah. Uh, if I don't know if this theory is right or not. But uh, I, I ta- I'll talk more about it in the overtime, but I watched the Clinton Cash documentary that's been floating around on YouTube for a couple of weeks since the book came out. Yeah. It's done by the book author, and um, it's clear it, just by watching the way the Clinton Foundation works from that movie, it's clear that the, the Clintons are totally bought and sold, and any political position can be bought with the right price and right donation to the Clinton Foundation. And one of those donations enabled Russia to get a a really, really critical hold over uranium. And a massive now Russia is in a massive play, is a massive player in the Ukraine in the uranium market, thanks to deals that were enabled by Hillary Clinton's State Department right after donations came in from companies of, uh, from Russia. And I believe deals like that where the power structure around something like uranium was fundamentally changed or where she hosts her own email in disregard of national security. I oh, think yeah. I think it is possible that patriots in the intelligence agencies are watching this psychotic maniac who has <laughs> utilized her political power for 30 years to get – 
all kinds of riches, all kinds of connections. It is the, you really should watch that. I'll have it linked in the show notes. It's heavy handed, but that Clinton Cash documentary is it's really a doozy. I don't think it's too far fetched from what you say, man. So maybe really somebody's don't. like, I can't, I can't stand this. I, well, I mean, that's eventually and again, it's why not really Edward my bacon. Snowden went out, right? It's not really I mean, my, it's not my bacon necessarily. Yeah, it's, it's that's true. Yeah, I yeah. do believe it. And one of the reasons that there is so much anxiety is very interesting, and it's probably going to become an issue in the campaign. One of the reasons there is so much anxiety about Mrs. Clinton from the intelligence community is the belief that some of the materials that she handled with such extreme carelessness, I'm using Jim Comey's mm-hmm. phrase, in my opinion it was criminal, but in the FBI director's opinion it was extreme carelessness, contained the names of American mm-hmm. undercover intelligence agents, some of whom are no longer with us. This is the belief of a lot of people in the intelligence community. If Mrs. Clinton does become president of the United States, she's going to have a lot of antipathy towards her by people in the intelligence community. Let's assume just for a moment that that's possibly true. Because I think what the judge is implying there is that names were leaked and people have died. Is right. that what he just said? Yeah. But I don't we think... We would never hear of that if that's the case because it would be exposing those agents and their connections. So that's a story that would never be talked about. Right, but I mean, he, I think he's implying... He's not implying that because of the leak, the agents died. He's I just, don't know. He might be. Uh, because, I didn't get that. I, if he is, then the intelligence agency would would really have a... Vent, have right. a so let's, I wanna, let's play that back just sure, for a second because fine. I think he is kind of implying that. Of American... I'm going to go back just another hair. The director's opinion, it was extreme carelessness contained the names of American Mm -hmm. undercover intelligence agents, some of whom are no longer with us. This is the belief of a lot of people in the intelligence community. That kind of sounds like he is saying that a little bit. Uh, If Mrs. Clinton does become president of the United States, she's going to have a lot of antipathy towards her by people in the intelligence community. Why would they care if if an intelligence agent passed away of natural causes and showed up in her email? Oh, yeah, yeah. So the only reason they would care, and and here's the reason why that does have some some possibility to consider is, like I said— I believe the Western media would not would, – would even if they f- somehow found out about these deaths, which they very well may have, they would not report on it as a matter of national security because of the other connections it would reveal by saying that – if you reveal that Chase Nunes is a CIA plant, you could also be revealing that the people around him may have connections to the CIA or everybody interacted with Chase Nunes now knows. So it is – I a, can't a, confirm or deny that. So you reveal, you reveal national security information by just revealing who a plant or CIA agent is because right. all of the people around him too could then be put at risk. Oh, totally. So yeah. the media, I believe – would not cover it. This is the tip of the iceberg. That wasn't in the report that, that people might have died because her because names were listed and sent, right? The correct. Correct. The FBI did not reveal that. The FBI never revealed the contents, and quite properly, because it's still classified. Sure. The FBI never revealed the contents of the 25 top secret, of which five were SAP, meaning even FBI agents didn't have the clearance to reveal them. So Bill uh, Binney mm-hmm. is saying of the 60,000 NSA agents and contractors, there's a critical mass who fear Mrs. Clinton's presidency. Could you imagine if we are saved by the NSA? <laughs> I mean, it could be total bullshit. This entire thing could be total bullshit. But imagine if we're saved by, from a Clinton presidency. But then, but then would the NSA be just tipping it to towards Trump? 
Maybe they could give Jill Stein or, uh, or Johnson a boost here. <laughs> well, well, to be fair, Johnson's only two percentage points away from the debates. Yeah. And I've always said it, and I even said this to my wife the other day. I was like, if he makes it to the debates, he has a shot. I the, honestly The libertarian debates are happening on CNN tonight. Well, it's town hall. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because what? Who's he debating? He's already the nominee. So uh, this is to me. This is this is an extremely interesting idea because uh, Bill or William or whatever Biney would he would know how these people think. You may even right. still have communications with some of them, possibly. Contractors. There's a critical mass who fear Mrs. Clinton's presidency right. and more likely than not hacked into the DNC so the and NSA leaked this. Got him. So this is, According to this is a man you know well, Jack, yes. and he recently did an, a radio interview. This would seem, if this is true, that the government mm. is going to cover this up. The, 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 oh, the, totally. the Russian and the and using the Russians makes even more sense, and that might be why some of the people in the in the U.S. government aren't saying it's not the Russians. Where he explained essentially that. Listen, if you had to just uh, estimate here as an analyst, who your best guess, uh, who, who what would be your best guess uh, for who the hacker is, who Lucifer Two is? In this situation, I was thinking about uh, how many other people have this this data and hacked into the DNC. Well, it's hacking into uh, Hillary's uh, server at home. I go back to a statement made by uh, Director Mueller of the FBI back in uh, 30th of March of 2011. I love using their own quotes. Brilliant. <laughs> and he said uh, he got together with the Department of Defense and they created a technology database uh, where <clears throat> uh, he, as a member of the FBI, could go in with one query and get all past emails and all future ones as they came in on a person. We've also seen this as part of the Snowden leaks. Now, what he's talking about is going into the NSA database. So that means that NSA and, the, and, and a number of other agencies in the U.S. government also have those emails. So what he's saying is there's this NSA database, and right. unbeknownst to us, because there's no oversight, the FBI, the CIA has access to it. And they may have searched for their own names in there. Comey could have looked at Hillary's email if they had him, but then he'd open a whole can of worms. Right. Then, then he would be revealing that the NSA, in fact, does have everybody's emails, and, which and a lot of us, a secret. right, which a lot of us believe, which Bill Binney, a former NSA official who developed the software that the NSA uses, says they have, but which the NSA has never officially acknowledged. There would also be serious criminal violations. The Snowden leaks also show PowerPoint screens of uh, with screenshots of the selector where you can go in there and search existing emails in the database. Those there's, we've seen photos of it. If the FBI had unfettered access to the NSA material. The FBI has to ask for it or get a search warrant for it. Did they ask? Did they get a search warrant for Mrs. Clinton's materials? Answer, no. Well, it's unthinkable to think that they, if they, they could be the source of the leaked emails. I actually think it's perfectly thinkable because yeah. if the political climate makes blaming Russia the go-to place, everybody believes cyber this, cyber that, everything's super cyber scary, and they can't come out and say, we have her emails, we know what she's done because they'd be revealing things that are against the Constitution. So their only recourse might be this action. It cost Debbie Wasserman Schultz her job. I would, I can't imagine. And these, you know, these people. I'm oh, sorry to keep, I keep interrupting, but I just keep thinking about this. These people are, they're military people. They're not, they're, like, they don't care about Debbie. They don't care about. They, they probably disdain all of these politicians. Oh, all of them. So, yeah. they, like, oh, she, they would never do anything to hurt Debbie. My ass. They don't give a crap about Debbie. Source of the leaked emails that cost Debbie Wasserman Schultz her job. I would. I can't imagine 
the NSA feeding Julian Assange this information. Could you? Yes, and that's exactly. You think they would actually that, well, use that's that outlaw, that, that, that Gore like that, that is exactly that is exactly what Bill Benning is saying, and and we would never do that. Well, it's not we. It's a guy. It's, it's, he doesn't. You know, this guy has no clue. No clue. No, he doesn't. In, this, this is not official federal government policy. Right. This is the behavior. One of these sixty thousand was Edward Snowden. So it's the behavior of some. This is a huge, huge uh, operation. Yeah. Of these sixty thousand people, some are military, some are civilian employees of the government, some are outside contractors that many of them have access to. So, and they all have different levels of, of security clearance. Right. Some can go deeper into the NSA data. Based on others. Julian Assange was on another show yesterday and says he got a lot more, a lot more damning Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. campaign emails coming out. Okay, this again is going to become a campaign issue because WikiLeaks and Julian Assange blame Mrs. Clinton mm-hmm. for the fact that he is in exile in the basement of the Ecuadorian embassy uh, in London. They also condemn Mrs. Clinton's secrecy and they want to reveal what they have. And Brian, I know you don't like this guy, but every time they have promised a data dump. They have delivered. And on top of that, he has shown that he'll work with intel he'll work with yeah. service members yeah and, exactly like he's got a history of working with people who are leaking stuff yes so thinking that there could be an october surprise that is not inconceivable it is not inconceivable that they know exactly when wow. look at what they did to debbie wasserman Chuck. Sure. they know exactly the perfect timing to release these materials and, and i believe uh assange said yesterday that uh, there are email that shows that hillary clinton in part helped arm so ISIS. so, so oh, oh. maybe she signed the toyota deal i can't wait for this well, what i was going to say is what if this is one of the situations where yeah, they know the timing of doing this and releasing the details and all that. But Hillary could be just smirking in the face of Julian Assange because, you know, remember, Hillary just picked up Debbie Wasserman Schultz as part of her totally, campaign. And, and, right? and Naomi, I mean, she just got out of this whole email scandal thing with not even a, not even a bruise. I mean, she can nothing sticks to Hillary. So uh, I think part of it is I don't it, it may not matter. There may be nothing that can be done simply because everybody's made up their mind about Hillary and everybody's made up well, their mind about Donald. And well, maybe that's why uh, he hasn't. Uh, Julian hasn't released the big stuff yet. Let's talk more about Mr. Assange. Can use this. Uh, WikiLeaks co-founder Julian Assange has spoken exclusively to us. See how he's excited? He's wiggling in his seat. He's they're, they're pumped about this exclusive interview. In fact, our Afshin Ratanzi over there in London about the latest email leaks. During the interview, made some unexpected revelations. We're expecting some big stuff to come out of this. What did come out of it? Well, uh, I have to say, Julian Assange is not going to endear himself to uh, the U.S. Democratic presidential contender Hillary Clinton. We went over to the Ecuadorian embassy where he's, where he's uh, under arbitrary detention. By All the interviews he's been doing, he's been on CNN, he's been on NBC, and, uh, uh, he's been on NBC's, I can't remember which program. MSNBC? Or C- uh, he's been on MSNBC, he's been on NBC, he's been on, uh, he's been on CNN, um, I, 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 and I think one other network... And in all of them, they've been doing these remote connections, and he has been getting progressively better with the quality. But RT is the only network that actually went and interviewed him in person. And they're just going to tease us 
with what's coming up in their interview. I think they're publishing later in the week. But okay. I think this is probably the most important the bit they're going to play. British government, according to the United Nations. We've got the full interview being screened on RT on Saturday. We must say that in, this is in the context of very senior people at the Democratic National Committee all resigning in the past 24 hours. We've had Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Brad Marshalls, uh, the chief finance officer of the uh, DNC, Louis Miranda, the comms director, Amy Dacey, CEO. People are just falling apart. People are all being rolled over by the revelations from Julian Assange inside an embassy. But we uh, also had to address the fact that Julian Assange was even talking to RT because the Democrat Party, Hillary Clinton herself, are all saying forget about what the emails reveal, whether it Don't be about ISIS, it. Daesh, whether it be whatever links that Hillary Clinton... It is astonishing, Chase, that still for another week in a row they have managed to avoid actually covering the content of the leaks, which is, is really damn impressive. It's been, it's been about uh, the hackers and Trump. So right. here's the bit of the interview we care about. Uh, now, this is a separate question to the release of our emails. So in the U.S. media, there's been a deliberate conflation between DNC leaks, which is what we've been publishing, and DNC hacks of the U.S. Democratic Party, uh, which have occurred over the last two years by their own admission uh, a number of times. Okay, so that's the mm, circumstantial evidence uh, that some Russian uh, was involved um, or someone who wanted to make it look like a Russian was involved with these other media organizations. That's not the case uh, for the material that we released. That's pretty clear cut. Uh-huh. So he's saying so and he's saying that maybe maybe Russians did hack them, but that's not how nothing, we got the leaks. Yeah, it has nothing to do with this so information. Is, is he implying that I, I he the way he said that implies that, that they are two and separate and distinct things. Right. I think the conversation we've been having so far is that the DNC was hacked and as part of this hack they took this information. He's making it sound like nah, the leaks and this information right. are not the same. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It could I have just been so. a Bernie advocate inside the can, inside the oh, DNC. It's totally possible. Maybe a, so. I'm just just going to play just the last words of that. Uh, was involved. I want to. Oh, I'm just a little sorry. The mm, circumstantial evidence uh, that some Russian uh, was involved, um, or someone who wanted to make it look like a Russian was involved with these other media organizations. That's not the case. Uh, for the material that we released. Hmm. So I'm going to keep my eye out for their full interview to see if I can grok any more information from it. All right. No, I just want to wrap up the whole hacking thing, and then we'll close out the update segment on this. Do you remember Ben Swan? He sometimes does these reality check segments for, like, a local CBS affiliate. Oh, yeah. And, I remember that. Uh, yeah. I, I I think he does a pretty good job of summarizing the situation. Well, one week after the DNC leak hacking scandal rocked the Democratic convention, national media and the Clinton campaign have found their official source of the leak, Russian intelligence. We know that Russian intelligence services, which are part of the Russian government, which is under the firm control of Vladimir Putin, Mm -hmm. hacked into the DNC. And we know that they arranged for a lot of those emails to be released. So we know that the that Russians hacked into the DNC, and we know that they arranged for a lot of those emails to be released. They actually do sound like two separate and distinct events. Oh, they are. 
And so she could in some capacity be telling the truth in this statement while still being able to make the, the – she is conflating the two things. And if that's true, why isn't Julian just coming out and saying that more clearly? But they, when she states it like that, with the, when, you have, when you have the understanding they may be two separate events, that perhaps they were hacked, but perhaps somebody selectively leaked documents and that's a totally separate thing. Yeah. Then her statement sounds completely different when you hear it. And I think that's fascinating. I'm going to just so here we go. Part of the Russian government, which is. Un- well, right right of the leak. And then I'll be done. I'll let it just go. I'll let it play. We know that Russian intelligence services, which are part of the Russian government, which is under the firm control of Vladimir Putin, hacked into the DNC. And we know there. that they arranged for Two a lot of knows. those emails to be released. Uh, and we know that uh, Donald Trump has shown a very troubling uh, willingness to back up Putin, to support Putin. So let's be clear. The Clinton campaign says that it knows an awful lot that the Russian intelligence services hacked the DNC and arranged for those emails to be released. Why? Because as you heard there, Donald Trump is friends with Vladimir Putin and the Russians want to help Trump win the White House. That was the narrative pushed by Hillary Clinton. For his part, Trump called on the Russians. He did, in fact, call on them to help find Clinton's missing 33,000 emails. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. But what the media has not touched on is the part of the DNC leak where talking points were meant to push journalists away from Clinton's relationship with Russia. The former head of the Russian uranium company, Uranium One, Ian Teffler, made four undisclosed Clinton Foundation donations. I was talking about this earlier. And this is this is the irony of the entire blame it on Russia scenario is they were ready to defend Hillary's connections to Russia. And they've wow. managed to turn it onto Donald. They're good. They're real good. Because they, they were – and it also uh-huh. shows you a miss on the Trump campaign because they could have jumped on that earlier if they just watched the Clinton cash documentary. <laughs> it's totaling $2.35 million. It's a clear violation Ooh. of Hillary Clinton's ethics agreement with the Obama administration to disclose all donations. That hidden $2.35 million in Clinton Foundation donations from the former Russian uranium chief were part of a larger $145 million given from nine uranium investors involved in the deal approved by Hillary Clinton to transfer 20% of all U.S. uranium to the Russian government. While she was in the State Department, wow, they donated about $148 million to the Clinton Foundation. Just because they liked her, huh? They don't want any uh, deals or access. Huh? And in terms of politics, within minutes, these deals will go through. 20% of the U.S.'s reserve... In Russia, that fundamentally tips the scale to Russia for another critical energy source that is very scarce on this planet. Yeah. So now they have massive controls of oil reserves and uranium, which is fundamentally scarce simply because they donated about one hundred and forty eight million dollars to the Clinton Foundation. Oh, so if anybody has ties to the Russians and Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm no Trump. I'm no Trump defender here. Yeah, I know. I know. But this is this is unbelievable. Yeah. So the question, did the Russians hack into the DNC computers? Number one, the U.S. government has not officially confirmed that information. Number two, WikiLeaks. That was the organization that actually released the hacked emails, not the Russians. And number three, media is missing the real story here. Because the real story and what you need to know is that the Clinton campaign is hoping to smooth things over with Bernie Sanders supporters. Why? Because they are the group who was disenfranchised by the DNC. 
I like that take. This is so we've been like, what? What's remember last week we yeah. asked we asked the question, why would they spin it this way? Why spin it? And I was like, well, because it makes them look less incompetent. I'm thinking, and it turned out to be a great political play to link Trump to Russia. Yeah, and that seems to be working and getting a lot of ground. And I was like, that might be why. I didn't even think about the fact that. You know, they desperately want some of those Bernie supporters. That's oh, a, they, yeah. That's a great take. The DNC hack proved that the Democratic National Committee was not neutral as it claimed, and that as an organization, the DNC was gaming the primary for Clinton. The information in the leak, it has not been proven false or untrue. So who cares who leaked it? Who cares that's what if it's I the said. Russians or the Venezuelans or the French or some hacker in Romania or some hacker in an American basement who leaked the emails? Millennials who Clinton is trying to win back, they don't care who the source of the hack or the leak is <laughs> if the information is true. Exactly. That's what I said. It is totally. And yeah. I completely agreed with you and yeah. I do still today. Yeah. So, man. That is, uh, I think I might have a little more uh, take on it in the uh, in the uh, the overtime for the supporters, but uh, that's that was sort of my that was sort of my big uh, a quick update on the DNC hack, which continues to just sort of not be the focus of the media anymore. But now we just okay, we just accept on the on the face of it, it was the Russians, and that is now just an accepted fact. Yes, that's that is now the reality in which we live. We're going to talk about other uh, reality distortions out there, but first we got to take a moment and thank our supporters that keep this show going. Yes. Over at patreon.com slash unfilter, 448 of you are taking action and helping us stay on the air. And those of you that pay at a certain amount, you get access to the supporter sync. But everybody can get in at a certain level and get the fee, get in there. I'm posting the, the entire live streams for everyone, even if you're not signed up yet. So at each level, there's incentive to participate. Now, Mr. Chase. Yes, Chris. <clears throat> I didn't check when you walked in. Do you have a sack? Full of mail, or did anybody did neglect to write in? Or <laughs> what's the word, Chase? Should I open up the sack, or are we? We, good? we can open it up, and I can remind people oh. how the process works. You want me to? So you just want me to open the bag? Oh, you, well, I mean, I, I, I want just, I want my music. Yeah, well, here, let's get in there. Okay, all right. Yeah, all right. The mail sack is officially open. That's right. We're deep inside my sack damn and it. checking Chase, for email. Oh, and you see, I. I, Remember how you're like, man, I don't know if I like the checks of that segment. No, I, you were the guy. No, like, I'm talking about actual <laughs> correspondence. Okay. Oh, 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 okay. I oh. don't know what you're talking about, oh, Chris. Sorry. But I'm talking about correspondence. I, just, I, I went somewhere else. Anyway, uh, I want to remind everybody, our, our awesome unfiltered patrons that support oh. us at 33 or more per month. Oh, yeah. I want to hear from you guys. And, you know, Hello, everybody. you guys are awesome. And, you know, I really want to hear about it. You know, what do you think of our show? What's that's going on? Go, in, uh, that's how we roll. What's going on in your local world? If there's something happening locally, you know, politically, that's really interesting. We'd oh, love yeah. to hear about that, it. Hold up. Full stop. Whoa, whoa. Stop the show. Stop the show. Stop the show. <clears throat> that is a great point. We have <clears throat> off air talked about that. Jeez, <clears throat> you got me so excited. I'm like choking up here. It's all right, buddy. Uh, you can use that that your time. That's your time on the air to tell yeah. us what's going on in your area, what's in your head about the election. Yeah, it doesn't just have to be about show feedback. We we are hoping that you guys that are at thirty three or at that level, you're you're committed to our show because you really care about the news, what's going on, yeah. and the continued production of this show. And so we want to hear your thoughts on all things. Man, that is yeah. Woo! Jeez. All right. Resume. Yeah. So anyway, yes. So please, if you're in our club 33, and then you know we have a you know a few a couple dozen of you guys who support us, let us know what's going on in your yeah. world. Yeah. Now 
That being said, I did send out the uh, the announcement earlier today. You would see a nice picture of uh, Hillary and, <laughs> oh, nice, dude. and Trump. And uh, I got a response, and it was like, how? How, how to provide feedback? Well, there it's real go. simple. When you get that Patreon post that says, hey, submit your feedback, just submit it right to that post. Yeah. You just reply right there. That's all you got to do. That's easy. That's, That's all you got to do. So what's going on in your world? If you're overseas, we'd love to hear about what's going on over your, over there. What is your local media talking about yeah. our political process? Yeah, just stuff it in there, and Chase will bring you a sack. I will bring you a full all right. sack of it. Close up the sack. There Let's we go, close buddy. It up. Thank you. <clears throat> Patreon.com slash unfilter to support this show and yes. keep us a going. All right. Well, moving right along, buddy. Well, let's transition. While Before we get right into the Trump stuff, there is a little new uh, Hillary DNC stuff to discuss. Not a lot. I really – I have more clips in the sink. But there's one clip I want to play because it seems to be the stat that dogs the Clinton campaign and they're either going to have to make a choice to just say, screw it. We're never going to change people's mind or they're really going to have to go – on some kind of charm offense. New questions are being raised about Hillary Clinton's truthfulness. After an interview that aired yesterday, Nancy Cordes has that. By the way, this at this point, producer Matt and I were just briefly discussing this in the back channel chat. This is as tough as the media gets right now on Hillary. They have been brutal on Trump all week, and this is them playing tough with Hillary now. We're not going to let it happen. Donald Trump is typically the one who runs afoul of fact-checkers. But Clinton's answer to a question on Fox News Sunday earned her four Pinocchios from the Washington Post. It was a question about her use of a private email server. FBI Director James Comey said none of those things that you told the American public were true. Director Comey said that my answers were truthful and what I've said is consistent with what I have told the American people. Comey did testify that Clinton was truthful to the FBI, but not necessarily to the American people. Secretary Clinton said there was nothing marked classified on her emails, either sent or received. Was that true? That's not true. There were a small number of portion markings on, I think, three of the documents. Secretary Clinton said, I did not email any classified material to anyone on my email. There is no classified material. Was that true? There was classified material emailed. According to a new CBS News poll, the Democratic convention did give Clinton a five-point bump in the percentage of voters who find her honest and trustworthy. (laughs) But, Charlie, that still only puts her at 34 percent, two points behind Donald Trump. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? So they've really got to decide what they're going to do about that particular stat. Oh, man. Yeah, so that's my kind of my – the Hillary – otherwise, Hillary also is – I've got clips about this. Uh, She's on a bus trip right now. Do you know about this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, her and uh, her and the VP pick there are uh, the the Hillary and Kane trip, and this is something that the Clintons have done uh, after the uh, conventions for Bill for his two terms. This is something. This is a this is something they do all the time. And so she's on a big trip. She's got I, I assume a nice bus too. I would imagine. Uh, but in the meantime, kind of uh, pulling the punches while she's out on the road is uh, your close personal friend, my buddy. Warren Buffett. Battle of the billionaires. Warren Buffett hitting the campaign trail with Hillary Clinton, taking aim at Donald Trump. Cheryl Cassoni from our sister network, Fox News, is here now with the latest. Cheryl, it seems yeah. like these billionaires are stacking up for Hillary Clinton. It's, it's a fascinating turn, isn't yeah. it, when you see these guys coming out and speaking out for Hillary, and we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, we know him as the Oracle of Omaha. He's one of the world's most famous investors. He's a billionaire many times over. But Warren Buffett unleashed a scathing attack on Republican nominee Donald Trump on Monday. Speaking in his hometown of Omaha, Buffett went after the business record of Donald Trump, in particular an offer of stock in Trump's Atlantic City hotels. Listen. 
1995, when he offered this company, if a monkey had thrown a dart at the stock page, the monkey on average would have made 150%. But the people that believed in him, wow, that's listened mean. to his siren song, came away losing well over 90 cents on the dollar. He also challenged Donald Trump to release his taxes and says, if you release yours, I'll release mine. Um, and there is some controversy also brewing that's not related to some of the other things. Not long after Trump's comments about Ryan and McCain were published, running mate Mike Pence campaigned in Arizona and insisted the GOP is still united. So Trump refuses to endorse Ryan, saying, you know, I just haven't really gotten there yet. He won't endorse McCain and, either. And the is... worst thing about it is, and I know we're going to talk about the, uh, you know, the soldier, the lost. Yeah, that's son. what we're going to next. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the funny thing is now Ryan's stuck. Yeah. He can't come out and, yeah. and, and denounce his support for Trump no. because if he does, it's going to look like he's pissed off about Trump's lack of endorsement. And, uh, of course, Trump's using his wording carefully as a spit right in Ryan's face. You know, oh, I just yeah. haven't quite, quite gotten there uh, yet kind of a thing. Yeah. So it's been an interesting week for Trump. And we're going to cover some of it and tell you what's going on. And I, I don't I normally actually would consider some of these stories to be a little distraction heavy. But uh, I, I have to acknowledge that there is a serious historical thing happening right now, and this is a very pivotal – pivotal? Jeez, I always do that. This is a very essential week. These these next few weeks are like – They're huge. Absolutely critical. It's We're leading up to something it's now. It's not the next six weeks because the debates are in six weeks. And it's so. something that Clinton's – I was just mentioning, always have an organized system for. They, 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 they jump on this post – convention bump and what they do and this i hate that term but what they do is they go through the working class territories and they go out there and they they shoot a bunch of footage of them talking to working class americans shaking hands yeah. kissing babies and they you know they they there's lots of pictures right now on twitter they stack the auditoriums in a certain way so all the camera shots look like it's just a packed crowd they stack people behind and in front so that way the camera is shooting overheads and there's people behind her and they they they're just the Clintons are masters at oh, yeah. this. And meanwhile, they're out, they're out there talking to the people, and the entire Clinton machine is still running everything, keeping the attacks going. All, it's, it's brilliant. The Clintons are so well-oiled right after the convention. So to see Trump kind of be where he's at right now, two weeks after the convention, this, is, this could be a defining moment for the campaign. Uh, and it, it, it starts with a brilliant, a brilliant piece of work that led Trump down a path that has been dogging him for days. Donald Trump, you're asking Americans to trust you with their future. So Mr. Khan here is a father of a fallen soldier, a gold star family, as they're yeah. called. And uh, this was a speech that aired after our show last week yeah. at the uh, convention for the uh, Hillary, the Hillary party. I got I got a little conspiracy about this, just a little bit. Well, just a bit of bacon. Can you will you forgive? Just a I, I can forgive. No, no, for real. I think I think this was brilliant baiting. I think Trump was baited by this speech. I don't think they told him to say anything necessarily. You really don't think so? I think I think they this man, this man has a reputation. So I got a couple observations for you. 
So, um, I mean, isn't honestly, isn't there connections? And I've heard this, and I don't have confirmation or not between the Khan family and the Clinton Foundation. Yes, yeah, yeah, and also uh, the military. Like they, right. he, they uh, so these are all not just because of his son, but uh, new recruits are sent. He's so also. It's no coincidence that after his speech, he was on every media outlet. Oh yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. He was on several Sunday shows, which is sacred airtime for the media. And his wife wrote an op-ed for a major newspaper. Right. Like this was a ma- this was all coordinated major oh, access. Oh, totally. Yeah. That kind of media access. Do you know who has access like that to the media? The Clinton campaign. Yep. All of this was now. I don't think they 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 know two things. They know what kind of man he is, and they know what his political beliefs are because that's well established. Yeah. And they know that Trump is pretty easy to bait. <laughs> Well, you can bait him with the tweet. So th- they really knew the two. I think I think they knew this would bait Donald. I think this was a plan baiting, and he swallowed it. So I'm, let's play. Let's play the moment that got Donald all upset, as he, in his words, when he was. Vi- this is the moment he was viciously attacked. Let me ask you: Have you even read the United States Constitution? Catherine Harris would be very impressed with the prop use right here. I will gladly lend you Pulls it out. my copy. Now, uh, I guess uh, he keeps stacks of them at home, too. Uh, and I guess this is something that students comment that are sent by, uh, tr- by you know, the academy. They come over to his house and they tour his home for some reason. I guess this is something that happens. I don't quite huh, understand okay. why. But this is something he explained in one of the interviews. And they often comment about how he has constitutions all over the place. So this is this is I believe this could really be his idea. In this document, look for the words, look for the words liberty and equal protection of law. Have you ever been to Arlington Cemetery? Go look at the graves of brave patriots who died defending United States of America. You will see all faiths, genders, and ethnicities. You have sacrificed nothing, and no one we cannot solve we cannot solve our problems by building walls nbc news man that clip's audio mixing from nbc was so bad did you uh, hear how it jumped I know. I, that, yeah. that's why we try not to pull it off youtube all the time but they the nbc stuff boy that was a bad mixing right there anyways so that was a vicious attack trump says and it's inspired him to go on the defensive, I guess you could call it. And he, he just made a lot of missteps, almost oh, one so after many. the other. I don't know if you saw this speech, but uh, there was a man named Kaiser Khan speaking at the Democratic Convention last night. His son, Captain Humayun Khan, was killed serving in Iraq. And he had some very tough questions for you. Have you even read the United States Constitution? I will gladly lend you ABC's mix is way better than NBC's mix. Yes. You have sacrificed nothing. And no one. 
he said you wouldn't have even let his son in America. He yeah. doesn't know. He doesn't know that. I saw him. He was, uh, you know, very emotional and probably looked like uh, a nice guy to me. I was impressed that was his first response, but it immediately begins to downslide. And this is the problem, I think, sometimes when Trump's speaking off the cuff, because he says something that immediately causes reaction. His wife, uh, if you look at his wife, she was standing there. She had nothing to say. She probably, maybe she wasn't allowed to have anything to say. You tell what me, but plenty hell? of people have written that. <clears throat> Why was she standing up there silently behind him off to the side? We, well, we, we know the answer because she did answer that question. After she was grief stricken. Oh, yeah. And, and she also said that when she speaks... That she's not as strong as her husband. She has the freedom to speak, and she's number one. In I don't doubt house. it. I don't yeah. doubt it. But I'm just saying, yeah. um, in in the terms and parlance that the Obama administration yeah. uses, it was bad optics. It looked bad up on stage. It legitimately just think about it. Detached from like any of the political stuff, but from a pure production standpoint, if you're producing that and you had those shots. That honestly would cross my head. Like that, that doesn't look good. The, right. Literally, in looking in the camera, the optics of that arrangement are bad. It was a bad play for the DNC to arrange it that way. It was probably in a, they they didn't think about it very much. And I actually think, from a pure TV production standpoint, it's not a, an illegitimate thing to say. No. And he does. That could be the angle. And I'm not defending what he's saying because that was the stupidest possible direction he could have gone. That's the worst answer and, you and could give. Like he didn't. Just don't say anything about the wife. Just don't. It's not a matter of personal appearance. He doesn't have to say a thing. But yeah. He, but so my but my point is like it it was. I think there is some legitimacy. It was bad optics. To say you tell me, but plenty of people have written that. Plenty. Uh, she uh, she was extremely quiet. And it looked like she had nothing to say. A lot of people have said that. A lot. Uh, and personally, uh, I watched him. I wish him the best of luck, George. What would you say to that father? Well, I'd say we've had a lot of problems with radical Islamic terrorism. That's what I'd say. We have a lot of problems where you look at San Bernardino, you look at Orlando, you look at the World Trade Center, you look at so many different things. You look at what happened to the priest over the weekend in Paris where his throat was cut, 85-year-old beloved Catholic priest. You look at what happened in Nice, France a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'd say you got to take a look at that because something's going on and it's not good. He said you have sacrificed nothing and no one. This is George at his best. Like this, uh, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm playing part of this because. Uh, to be fair, you know, George is an in with Hillary and the Clintons. He, he swears, he swears he's not, but yeah. Yeah, I know. This is, he was, he was uh, the spokeshole for Clinton for a while and yeah. has worked for the found. Anyways. Yeah. Um, but you see here how he's positioning these questions to, oh, yeah. to box Trump in. It's it's really good. It's really good work. Uh, and I think I I think it's I actually think it's the best work I've ever seen of George. And it's not good. He said you have sacrificed nothing and no one. Well, that sounds. Uh, who wrote that? Did uh, Hillary's uh, scriptwriters write it? Because you know what? They oh, might have. Yeah. They may have touched up his script. That might have been a thing. Because everybody that went out there, we also had John Allen who failed with ISIS. I mean, he was a general. Uh, Allen, General Allen, he went out and he was ranting and raving. And then I read a report. He was in there for. This is a horrible response again. You see how he's blowing this? A yeah. number of months and he failed with ISIS. And he's telling me. He's, uh, try, you know, he's trying to the like old him. classic deflection. Yeah. And, you know. And he just rambles. Yeah. Uh, and it is not an answer. I mean, it's interesting to drop some names in, in some situations. But. You say last night you don't know more than the generals. 
Well, I'll tell you, the generals aren't doing so well right now. Now, I have a feeling it may be Obama's fault, but uh, if you look at ISIS, uh, General MacArthur and General Patton, they're spinning in their graves. The generals certainly aren't doing very well right now. And uh, General Allen, after I saw he was on ranting and raving about me, who we never met, uh, I checked up. Guess what? They weren't so happy with him. He didn't beat ISIS. He didn't beat ISIS. He didn't do even well with ISIS. How would you answer that, Father? What sacrifice have you made for your country? Wow. Could you, could you picture him ever asking Hillary that question? It really depends. With that tone, even. It, it, that it, tone. It, I think it really, really depends. I, I, I mean, if, 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 you know, someone as, you know, a gold star family came out and said some things against Hillary, per- perhaps. I, I think it, it depends on the you context. You think, you think, huh? Well, I mean, like you said, I mean, if if George is not a part of the uh, Clinton uh, machine anymore, he would be impartial yeah, as it a is, journalist. You know, it is a particular egregious thing to the sort of that sort of I, the gold I would, star families are sort of untouchable. See, see, I would say this about them, the gold star family, uh, the Khan family, which is interesting. It's 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 a term and meme that's been around since like World War One, oh, but yeah. not one that's been not one that I we think. Ha- yeah, we haven't really heard and no, and all of a sudden it's just. It's like these are these are a people, and he has attacked them. It's like boom, they've immediately see, been boxed up and presented to us. See, while you know, while they, uh, you know, maybe they had their script written by the Clinton campaign. Uh, you know, maybe obviously there is a political agenda here. Perhaps it doesn't matter. They lost their son, right? And that's it. You you know what? You you can think about it. You can think that there's some sort of connection there, exactly. But you think about it, and that's it. Either side, it doesn't matter if it's Republican or Democrat. You just don't touch it. That's why period. I'm saying he was baited. They knew he's. They knew he's yeah. so easy to bait. He yeah. really is genuinely easy to bait. Oh yeah. And, and so, uh, I think they knew he would bite. Yeah. Because because the mix was right. It was perfect for the, for a collision to occur. And and the thing is, is once you personally attack him. All like he'll go after a judge. Oh yeah, he'll go after anybody. He seems to he seems to go he seems to attack everyone super aggressive except for Obama himself. With Obama, when Obama comes out and says something, he just says, "Oh, Obama's the worst president ever," and he just that's it. He doesn't ever seem to really attack Obama, but everybody else right. doesn't matter who they are. He'll go, he'll he'll counterpunch as he says. Yeah. So I think they knew that, and they knew it would be egregious to attack a gold star family. It was set up. It was perfect. I think it was a setup. Because you're right. There is no possible political justification to ever do it. And that's why even Chris Christie came around and said, I, I can't do that. That's ridiculous. You can't do that. Like everybody, even everybody, even his VP is saying I, his pick is for VP. I know you can't do that. So it's it's astonishing. Right. Father, what sacrifice have you made for your country? I think I've made a lot of sacrifices. Uh, I work very, very hard. I've <sighs> created thousands and thousands of jobs, tens of thousands of jobs. And this is where... Trump could have saved a little face here. He could have started answering the question by saying, you know, my sacrifices have nothing in comparison to what the Khan family has sacrificed and their son has sacrificed. You know, he gave his life for the country. My sacrifices are purely in business in nature, so it's yeah. not even comparison. Here's, here's how I would have answered he, it. You know, he, he just blew it. I would have said, my sacrifices, exactly that. I would have said, don't compare. I've sacrificed my time, my family, and my health to build businesses, to create jobs. And now I want to keep sacrificing. I want to keep working right. for the American people as their president. That's 
how you answer that question. You know, you know, Chris, I just looked online and there is an indie job posting for the Trump pan- campaign. So <laughs> I, I just don't understand like why he if he's such a savvy. How could he not have just answered that way? Yeah. And thousands of jobs, tens of thousands of jobs uh, built great structures. I've done I've had I've had tremendous success. Uh, I think those are sacrifices. You see, George is right on it. Yeah. I mean, and he's right on with every other American that's watching this. I think even Republicans could be like, dude, that's not how you answer that. Uh, I think those are sacrifices. Oh, sure. I think they're sacrifices. I think when I can employ thousands and thousands of people, take care of their education, take care of so many things, even in military. I mean, I was very responsible, along with a group of people, for getting the Vietnam Memorial built in downtown Manhattan, which to this day people thank me for. You know, he just it's it's even then he's uh, just it isn't working. And and so this is right after the Khan family situation. Right. George asked him a question that then people really were able to run with saying he's totally unqualified. Why did you soften the GOP platform on Ukraine? Uh, I wasn't involved in that. Honestly, I was Soften the GOP platform on Ukraine. Now, what that means, if you haven't read the platform, because I'm sure you, why would you? Uh, essentially, what it means is don't freak out as much about the whole Crimea situation. Let's let's just let's sort of normalize some of our relations with Russia, maybe yeah. back off. It's not even like it's just like let's evaluate sanctions, look at what's appropriate, normalize where we can. That's that's the softening on on Ukraine in the platform. And you see, George, why why did you do it? Uh, I wasn't involved in that. Honestly, Your I was not were. involved. Your people were, though. Yeah, I was not involved in that. I'd like to uh, uh, I'd have to take a look at it, but I was not involved. Do you know in what that. they did? They softened it, I heard, but I was not involved. They took away the part of the platform calling for provision of lethal weapons to Ukraine to defend themselves. Oh, yeah, that's the other one. That was like, geez, boy, I'm glad it's in the clip. That was the other part of it is <laughs> let's not start arming people in Ukraine, which might, you know, I don't know, looking at Syria and Libya and Iraq and Afghanistan and Yemen. Uh, boy, I should, I should just come up with a new list. Uh, that that might actually be something to consider. And a surprising, it, it almost, what's shocking is that seems like that would be the platform of the Democrats. And so, and so the Clinton campaign and, and George here and, and the Democrats, they are upset that we don't want to arm Ukrainians, that we don't want to be pissed over Crimea, that we aren't being aggressive. So the Democrats are the war hawks towards Russia, and the Republican platform is attempting to avoid World War III. And that's that in this world is now the dangerous thing that is softening our stance. Right. Why is that a good idea? Uh, it's look, you know, I have my own ideas. He's not going into Ukraine, okay? Just so you understand. He's and in this is where things fall apart. He's not going to go into Ukraine. All right, you can mark it down, you can put it down, you can take it anywhere well, you want. He's already there, isn't he? Okay. Well, he's there in a certain way, but I'm and people went nuts with this. Trump doesn't understand geopolitical situations. He doesn't know what's going on in the world. You must have heard some of this. Well, I, I, and I, I hope you, you got it in the clip here. What's that? Because he mentioned the people. Well, the people voted. People voted uh, to, to be a part of Russia. I'll play with you. I'll play with what I got and we'll talk about it. Not there. You have Obama there. And frankly, that whole part of the world is a mess under Obama with all the strength that you're talking about and all of the power of NATO and all of this. In the meantime, he's going away. He take, takes Crimea. He's sort of, I mean. But you said you might recognize that. I'm going to take a look at it. But, you know, the people of Crimea, from what I've heard, would rather be with Russia than where they were. And you have to look at that also. 
Now, that was under, just so you understand, that was done under Obama's administration. And as far as the Ukraine is concerned, it's a mess. And that's under the Obama's administration with his strong ties to NATO. So with all of these strong ties to NATO, Ukraine is a mess. Crimea has been taken. Don't blame Donald Trump for that. You said you will do better. And yet we'll have a better relationship with Russia. It's funny because in the full context, I actually I actually think that's a good answer. Right. The if way he started it there's, was. There's two, there's two versions of Crimea history, and it depends on which one you want to believe. There is the Western version where uh, Russia seized Crimea from Ukraine. Right. Then there is the Russian and Crimean people's version appears to be where the people – realized that the government that they were a part of, the the federal government, if you will call it that, that they were a part of, was about to be toppled by a Western power. They said, screw that. We vote to succeed. They voted to succeed. And then immediately afterwards, Russia backed them up by sending little green men into Crimea to help enforce the security of the decision. There were parties held throughout right. Crimea about the decision. It appeared to be a decision of the people yep. to succeed. Now, you could argue – I think there's a lot of nuance in that particular version of the history. You could argue that perhaps Russian influenced the government's decision. Russian influenced the politicians and the vote. Russian's little green men have gone further into Ukraine than they need to. And and so there are nuances to the other version of the history. But Trump is clearly – he sees history as the the Crimean people decided to leave. But Western media – sees it as Russia aggressively seized Crimea. Yeah, and, and we've that, talked about that many times. And yeah. in that context, what Donald Trump has said here is ludicrous. And Obama has said he's unfit for duty. He he shouldn't be allowed to be president simply because he's so uninformed on issues like this that it'd be malpractice. He's unfit, he's actually said. President Obama took aim today at Donald Trump and at leaders of the Republican Party for not withdrawing their endorsement of him. Oh, also, he shamed people. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, and I have a comment about this, too, because, yeah, he unshamed them, and, and now there's a problem with this. I'm going to stop right you. here. Yeah, yeah. I'm not voting for Trump. I'm making that clear. I'm not I, – I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not voting for the dog either. I might vote for uh, Johnson or Stein. I don't know who I'm going to vote for at this point, but I'm not – so I'm not – I am simply here to break down the bullshit that is being – built up around Trump. Yeah. I don't do this to support the Trump campaign. I do this to analyze how the media is spinning all of this and the historical fact that a standing or I guess a sitting wherever they call it president sitting president yeah. is actively campaigning for one candidate and against another. This is remarkable. It began with a question from our Margaret Brennan during a joint news conference with the Prime Minister of Singapore. Given the Republican nominee's recent comments about the Khan family and his statement that if president, he would consider recognizing Russia's annexation of Crimea, does it make you question his fitness to be president? Yes. I think the uh, Republican nominee is unfit. He doesn't appear to have basic knowledge around uh, critical issues. Well, he just doesn't buy the Obama administration's version of critical issues. Right. Doesn't have the judgment, the temperament. He's woefully unprepared oh. uh, to do this job. With Yikes. That scathing broadside, President Obama singled out senior House and Senate Republican leaders and war hero John McCain, all of whom pledged to vote for Trump despite sharply rebuking him for his public feud with the family of a fallen soldier. So it's, it is particularly remarkable to see all this go down and the media has made a lot of hay out of this in fact uh 
They continue to push on his relationship with Putin. Uh, a lot of different networks did coverage of this. This is sort of a mashup that MSNBC put together that really goes after uh, Trump and Putin. And his. What exactly is your relationship with Vladimir Putin? So they've brought in ABC clips and MSNBC clips and put it all together. And again, going back to the uh, George Stephanopoulos uh, interview, he pushed him on this, too. I have no relationship with Putin. Do you have a relationship with Vladimir Putin? I do have a relationship, and I can tell you that he's very interested in what we're doing here today. He's probably very interested in what you and I are saying today, and I'm sure he's going to be seeing it in some form. Hmm. But I do have a relationship with him. I have no relationship with him. But if you have no relationship with Putin, then why did you say in 2013, I do have a relationship? In 2014, I spoke... Because he has said nice things about me over the years. I remember years ago, he said something many years ago. We did 60 Minutes together. By the way, not together together, meaning he was probably shot in Moscow. Well, he was in Moscow, you were in New York. York. That's the thing. No, just so you understand, he said very nice things about me, but I have no relationship with him. When I went to Russia with the Miss Universe pageant, he contacted me and was so nice. I don't, yeah, I've you said for him. three years, 13, 14, and 15, that you did have a relationship have, with him. No, I, look, what, what do you call a relationship? I mean, he treats me I'm asking with you. great respect. I have no relationship with Putin. I don't think I've ever met him. I never met him. I don't think I've I ever think. met him. You'd know it if you did. I think you? so. Yeah, I think <laughs> oh so. Isn't that hard, man? I mean, it's just they're just they're hitting uh, him. I hate to use the term. I think it's such a ridiculous term, but they really are. In Russia, I was in Moscow recently, and I spoke indirectly and directly with President Putin, who could not have been nicer. Never spoken to him I've on the phone? I've been in Moscow. I didn't meet him in Moscow. Where? Never spoken to him on the phone? Uh, I have never spoken to him on the phone, no. You did say on three different occasions you had a relationship with him. Now you say there is none. Well, I don't know what it means by having a relationship. I mean, he was saying very good things about me, but I don't have a relationship with him. I didn't meet him. I haven't spent time with him. <laughs> it's just, they're, they're one after another, and then, of course, uh, that's, that's pretty much all the networks even Fox, actually. I've been kind of surprised. And so ABC called it 24 hours of trouble for Donald. New trouble for Donald Trump. A Republican nominee going head-to-head with top members of his own party as President Obama calls him, quote, unfit for the presidency. ABC's Cecilia Vega has the latest. Good morning. So a lot of coverage on the whole thing. You know, just a ton See, of... I was, one thing I was going to say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is, you know, with Obama uh, calling out uh, all the Republicans for supporting Trump, mm-hmm. now, yeah. now they can't pull out. And the reason why is because if they pull out, oh man, you're right. They're going to be accused of listening to our Democratic yeah, president. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. they're stuck. Yeah, you are. Uh... <laughs> they're stuck. Yeah, it's funny too. And the media is making a lot of. Uh, yeah. Now uh, they can pull back. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of like attention. They're drawing a lot of attention to the fact that there's this tension between the GOP leaders, which totally underscores. The message that the Democrats are trying to push at the convention that there's unity with the DNC. Right. We have unity. Yeah. And so it's it's maybe a coincidence that now they're nailing this message as hard as they possibly can, that there's a fracture. ABC's Cecilia Vega has the latest. Good morning, Cecilia. Robin, good morning to you. What's happened in the last 24 hours for Donald Trump reads like a checklist of political don'ts. He's managed to anger party leaders, anger vets, even moms with babies. Yes, babies. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, they're getting, they're loving this, aren't they? Donald Trump may be the Republican nominee, but this morning he is at war with his own party, not just refusing to endorse two of the GOP's highest ranking members in their state primaries, House Speaker Paul Ryan and Senator John McCain. You know, never been a big fan of John McCain, and uh, I, I just hate the way our veterans have been treated, but. 
You know, it's interesting too. Is I bet Ryan and McCain are just like, shut up, don't talk about us. Just shut up. We're just trying to run our. We're just trying to run our reelection campaigns. We got primaries coming up. Shut up. Shut. Stop talking hey. about us. John and other people. Trump also coming under fire for this move at a Virginia rally. A man came up to me, and he handed me his Purple Heart. This was this was the move that pissed off Fox News. Uh, this is sort of when they the gloves kind of came off, uh, and I started seeing anti-Trump stuff even on Fox News, which is which has not happened for months, really. Uh, now, not a lot. This is so improper. Trump, now, who never him, served in the military, said then him, said, "I always wanted to get the Purple Heart. This was much easier." He, He's just gaffing. Even raised oh eyebrows God. for rooting out a crying the baby. World, At first, saying, "Don't worry about that baby. I love babies. So, I love babies. I hear that baby crying. I like." But now, he, when I heard this first part, and I when I heard it in first time, full time, and I didn't hear it without any commentary or context, I was like, "Wow, good move. That's great move." Babies are healthy. It's a healthy baby. No big deal. Let's go. That and that was him being savvy. It's almost like it is almost. I, I'm trying not to buy into the narrative out there that he can't help himself. Right. But it is almost like he can't help himself. Like he should know not yeah. to go after a vet's father and mother, and know not to go after a crying baby. Like this is. I like, mean, at first one I heard, I was like, "This is good. Nice job, Trump." And I think it's total bullshit that the media is making so much out of it. But at the same time, it's like 101 stuff. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the way he said it, it does seem like he's he's serious, yeah. but then it's like he changes his mind or something. That baby, I love babies, so I love babies. I hear that baby crying. I like. I like it. It's like he's he's like lying, and then he tries to play it off as a joke. But then, actually, I was only kidding. You can get the baby out of here. <laughs> That's all right. Don't worry. I think she really believed me that I love having a baby crying while I'm speaking. And that's a, like, who does? Who wants a kid out there screaming and yeah. crying? I mean, but I then when kids. he keeps it going, uh, then I started pause and I was like, wait, is he being serious? He is. Yeah, I know. That's okay. This morning, two high profile Republican supporters announcing they will not vote for Trump. Hewlett Packard CEO Meg Whitman and New York Congressman Richard Hanna. You know, what's interesting is ABC could also be reporting that the Trump campaign raised a record amount of money. Uh, but they're not choosing to put that fact in here. No. Both saying they will break party ranks and support Hillary Clinton. Overnight, Ivanka Trump forced to defend her father's comments on sexual harassment. They love the show in the butt clip. I can't, I've probably seen that clip 300 times this week. They love running that clip. After he said if his own daughter faced harassment, she would find another job. I think it's uh, sexual harassment is inexcusable in, in any setting. President Obama also piling on and with his strongest attack yet. He's woefully unprepared uh, to do this job. I, I think this is – and you know what else is really kind of interesting about that is he said that in front of another politician. That's from – I can't remember which state he's from – not uh, which country he's from. But that's that was a public setting with – I mean just not the place you would normally do that. And, to, and for him to be going after Trump too is just extremely bizarre. I, just a really crazy week, Chase. It's a super crazy. Oh my week. gosh! I know, I know, I know, and and, it, and it's just getting started. And I then I put okay, I put our last clip in here um, just for you, buddy. All right, man. Thought of you when I saw this. Thanks, buddy. Because I know this is important to you. All right. So let's talk a little bit about these emojis. I'm not a. I go. I went to my most recent and most used emojis. And <laughs> Did you hear it about turns this? Out, it turns out my most used one 
you'll be happy to know, is the heart. It's a pile of... Then for some reason, the round button, and then the smiley face that's like this. Well, she's telling us a little something here. Well, actually, these emojis are no laughing matter sometimes. <laughs> the pistol one is actually quite serious. The reason that Apple is getting rid of it is because people have actually ended up with criminal issues as a result. A teenager in Brooklyn Did you hear about used the pistol emoji next to the emoji of a policeman and charges were filed against him. Yeah. Those were dropped. But interestingly, in France, it could actually constitute a death threat. One. Wow. <laughs> so they're putting a squirt gun emoji in there. Oh, that, that makes it all better. <laughs> Oh, wow, kids, buddy. Kids, kids, kids. You know, you should always join us live. This show's a lot of fun. Not it only is. do you get to watch it in a different order uh, and get more stuff than what makes it into the recording, but you also get to help us pick our title. So That's go right. to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to find out when we're doing this show live, and then hang out at jblive.tv to catch it all. Mr. Chase. Yes, Chris. If people need more Chase in their face throughout the week. Where would I go? What would I do? used to be able to go to chasingyourface.tk, but that doesn't exist anymore. No, you can follow me on Twitter at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. Please follow me there. i got a lot of cool things coming up in about a month heading to PAX West, fifth year. It's going to be a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, Chris, you, you've been posting some things. I saw some uh, you know, Lady Jupes updates. You know, sure, man. Yeah. At Chris LES, if you want to follow me on my personal account, it's kind of new. I've switched over. Uh, at Jupiter Signal for the network account is where you get like show releases, things like that. You can also subscribe to our channel on YouTube and subscribe to our RSS feeds, which are posted on the site. Sometimes you get taken down on YouTube. Oh, yeah. You can always find the main show at Jupiter Broadcasting. We also have MP3 editions for like these really long suckers. Like this week, we have we have a huge overtime coming up. It's going to be a massive show. It might be one of those you want to listen to on the go. We have an MP3 feed where you can it's get it every single week. It's a great commute feed. It's yeah. like just it's great. It is. And I, we, we try to pick the clips to make sure that they still work for you in an audio format. We, of course, have it available in video. And one of the great combos is MP3 version with the supporter sync. So you can go back and watch any particular clip Dude, you that's want. that's everything. That's know, everything man. you need. All right. So stay tuned. Big overtime's coming up. Thank you to our patrons. Patreon.com slash unfilter. We're going to get out of here. We're prepping for next week already. already. Yeah. yeah. We, we, yeah. we already started. Get in the zone. Okay, yes. everybody. Thanks for being here. See we'll you right see back, back here. here next week. segment. Shout out to our new patrons this week. Thank you to Nabil, Cops Rule 3, Roth Q, Nunix, Miguel A, Austin, Thomas Bourne, and looking at you, our new patrons since 197. This segment is dedicated to you guys and all of our supporters over at patreon.com slash unfilter. Alright, chat room. There's one topic that didn't make it in the main show today, but it's still pretty newsworthy.
covered it briefly from from one angle, from the terrorism angle, but the media's got a whole bunch of angles on the uh, situation in Brazil for the Olympics. Here's a little uh, taste of that. You couldn't really get any more obvious when it comes to Rio trying to make you feel safe. Copacabana and almost everywhere you look here near the venue for the opening ceremony, there's someone smiling with a gun. But they seem to have missed something quite important. Well, it is one of the biggest challenges for organisers, security screening for the huge crowds that want to get into the venues. But the basic task of working out who's going to be manning the X-ray machines at the end of these lines has been left to the last minute. Just one month ago, they hired a contractor to man these machines. Now begins Friday, the incompetence narrative. The military police would take over as uh-huh. the contractor wasn't ready. Oh. But still, some employees of the contractor, not shown here, were being asked to come to work this weekend. Because this would never happen. This would never happen in the States. One agreed to talk to us anonymously. Oh. He wasn't asked to provide oh. a police criminal background check, he says, and only had to do a quick online training course. There are people who turn up for the job without any real training for the kind of work we're being asked to do. Mm. Our job is to look after people's security, and some of the people doing the work, in my view, aren't up to that. Remember that uh, cop, or the rent-a-cop security guy that worked for the uh, national, multinational security firm, and he ended up being a shooter that was supposedly ISIS-inspired? That was right there in Florida. Is this ringing a bell? I mean, like, like this is unique to only in Brazil, only because they're so messed up and they're trying to get their crap together for the Olympics. This was the same thing when the Russians did the Olympics. The training course was very quick. There should have been more to it. It's not clear. With just days, you can count on one hand to go whether he's needed again. Today, <laughs> I was meant to do a six-hour shift did eight hours. At the end, the supervisor came and said they didn't know when we had to come back to work again. We tried to reach the contractor for comment. Olympic chief Thomas Bach says he has total confidence in the security of the Games. The government says they're drafting in thousands of retired police and firefighters to help. But away from the bright lights, some are asking what else has been missed. All right, so there's, uh, you get a little taste. It's good stuff, right? Is it good? You feeling good? Let's do another one. I love this narrative. This is my favorite one. With the Summer Olympics set to open in Brazil later this week, big questions remain about whether Rio de Janeiro is ready. Oh, that's your PBS NewsHour, ladies and gentlemen, your PBS NewsHour. Let's do another one. Just four days from now, Brazil and South America will host its first Olympic Games. An estimated half million sports fans are pouring into Rio And tonight, in the wake of a string of deadly terror attacks overseas and here at home, many are asking how safe the games can be. Are we? Are are we asking? Were you? Oh, oh, you were? Okay. NBC's Miguel Almaguer has toured the city's security forces on the ground, air, and sea. Tonight in Rio, a show of force. Hoorah! With the security team of 88,000, Brazil is taking no chances. This is a major site a major target. We know jihadis have wanted to hit this site and have actually called on followers to do just that. With half a million visitors and thousands of athletes to protect, excitement is also building. It's surreal. (laughs) I still don't believe it. 80% of tickets sold. The beach city is racing to get ready, but Mother Nature isn't helping. 
Smashing waves caused this ramp at the sailing venue to partially collapse. Uh-oh. There are still health concerns over contaminated water, especially at the sailing and rowing venues, though officials say the water is safe for competition. Oh. Meantime, federal police are watching more than just the shoreline. With four different agencies working this water, officers will be on patrol here 24 hours a day. Their top priority, protect the venues, including this bay where athletes will compete. This really does happen before every single Olympics, just like uh, X-Model saying, oh, this is my favorite part, and then we'll move on. Overhead, more firepower. Yeah. A constant presence in the air. This police force with its team of nine helicopters will be crisscrossing the air throughout the games. Yeah. 200 members here in the air and on the ground will be sending tactical images back to Central Command. The eyes in the sky above Rio. Oh, 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 oh yeah, buddy. Yeah, we got eyes on the sky. Uh, of course, one more uh, story with the uh, Rio's not ready narrative here. That one wasn't so bad, was it? We are just four days and counting from the beginning of the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. But South America's first games faced new last-minute problems. Over the weekend, waves hammered a building designed to house TV studios along a beach. There's been Tracy reports that's nothing compared to what the athletes already face in Rio de Janeiro before a single event takes place. With less than a week to go before Friday's opening ceremony, athletes from around the world are pouring into Rio, ready to compete. We know that Brazil is uh, an amazing country for volleyball, so we're really excited to be here and to experience it with them. Yeah, she sounds really freaked out, like she's having a really hard time with all the terrorism. Doesn't she sound like she's super, super concerned? While workers race to put finishing touches on Olympic venues and accommodations, Rio's ability to successfully pull off this Olympic-sized event Uh is still being questioned. Oh. On Friday, members of the Australian team were robbed after a small fire forced an evacuation of the Olympic Village. (laughs) That was after the team initially refused to move in, citing blocked toilets, leaky pipes, and exposed wiring in their rooms. Same exact story from Russia, too. And uh, I think a lot of it's because the construction is being rushed to finish in time for the Olympics. In an area of that size with the number of, of buildings and number of rooms that there are, Um, Unfortunately, theft is going to be inevitable. On Saturday, (laughs) another setback. Uh The main boat ramp of the Olympic sailing venue collapsed during a windstorm. Partially. But security is still Rio's biggest concern. In July, at least 12 people suspected of planning terrorist attacks were arrested, though officials maintain no credible threat to the games has been made. We have uh, full confidence uh, there in uh, the uh, Brazilian authorities uh, with uh, regard uh, to uh, Mm, security. And the IOC is taking into consideration Olympic-related security measures. Good, good, good. So there you go. There's your update in case you were wondering why we didn't talk about it more. Since it is kind of a newsworthy event, we've got it for you. Something else that's newsworthy but we just don't have a lot of reporting on is the continued situation in Turkey. This is getting serious still. We still have issues with our military base over there that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. And so I want to play this next clip for you, which uh, talks a little bit about the situation. Turkey is ramping up the pressure on the U.S. to extradite an elderly cleric living in America a cleric that Turkey insists was behind a failed coup attempt last month. Several Turkish lawmakers are in Washington, D.C., making that case. Any extradition would take time, and as NPR's Michelle Kellerman reports, in the end, it depends on international politics as much as any court ruling. 
Turkey's fractious party seemed to be united on one thing. The U.S. should extradite Fethullah Gulen, a cleric who lives in Pennsylvania and whose followers are being rounded up across Turkey following last month's coup attempt. The chairman of Parliament's Commission on Foreign Affairs, Taha Uzan, described the aging cleric as a missionary cult leader, making a dramatic comparison for American audiences. The importance of bin Laden, who organized September 11 from cave in Afghanistan, was the same as Gulen's importance to Turkey as he organized the bloody July 15 coup attempt from a small town in the United States. He and his fellow lawmakers had just met with Justice Department officials about this, and Camille Iden of the Nationalist MHP party says he got the sense that the U.S. is eager for a solution. I believe that America is going to refuse losing Turkey as a good partnership in the region. Oh, Of course, they are going to require some documents, which is in the process of being prepared. Now, when we send that the rest of documents, it's going to be okay. Then. Mm. But it's not that simple. Oh. The first step is for Turkey to persuade the Justice Department to bring the case before a U.S. federal judge, who will then have to decide if Gulen is extraditable. But... And the U.S. could slow walk this, says oh. John Perry, a professor at Lewis and Clark Law School. They could take their time getting the materials presented to the court. Then when the court says the guy's extraditable, it has to go to the Secretary of State's office mm-hmm. for a review. And Perry says at that point, this becomes a matter of international politics. The extradition process is designed with a diplomatic focus. It's designed to create a process that involves the courts not too much and leaves most of the control in the hands of government officials and diplomatic interests. One factor could be whether Gulen would have any chance of a fair trial in a country that's now arresting thousands of his alleged followers. Turkish opposition lawmaker Oskan Salaji is trying to make sure this crackdown doesn't become a witch hunt. We will support the government fight against these coup plotters. On the other hand, if they are trying to take some opposition members, let's say from civil society, from uh, opposition parties, we'll be criticizing them. Salaji is hoping the United States will remind its ally Turkey of the need to return to a normal democracy. He too, though, wants the U.S. to send Gulen to a Turkish court. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, Washington. So, sounds like it's probably going to happen. And that guy needs a little more research in my estimation that's could be bad news for that old guy that bin laden reference that was tight that's good that connects with the american people now they just got to start working um, pulling on the strings of the politicians that they own in dc let's continue our trump coverage from earlier in the show I want to go back in time a little bit, back to the DNC hack, back to those comments that Trump had made like the day of that we recorded last week. And I said, I know the media is going to have a heyday with this. Uh, and they sure did. We'll stay on the theme of Donald Trump. Uh, he's doing a little bit of uh, backpedaling this morning about comments he made yesterday, uh, suggesting that Russia should hack into Hillary Clinton's email. Take a listen. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. Of course I'm being sarcastic, and they don't even know, frankly, if it's Russia. They have no idea if it's Russia, if it's China, if it's somebody else. (laughs) Who knows who it is? Listen to him. All right, uh, Mo, so 
Donald Trump advocating for a foreign power to hack into his political opponent's emails. Um, you said that. All right, I don't want to play any more of the clip because I just realized that could get me taken down. I for, you know I forget about that when I'm listening to it because uh, you don't I don't tend to think about YouTube. A lot, but every now and then I got to. That's okay, though. This next clip, it's actually a way better clip. Uh, your buddy, your good friend, uh, General Hayden, the man that was sitting in the NSA when they flipped on the uh, warrantless mass domestic surveillance under Bush. That guy, the guy that turned it on, the guy that turned it off during and just before 9-11, and then the man that turned it on after 9-11 using 9-11 as a justification. Le- uh, legitimately, if you don't know this backstory, it's actually kind of interesting, and there's uh, there's several books that cover it. I've talked about it even in the show a while back. We played clips, I believe. Yes, we did a while back in the show. If you go in the in the archive, it's a great, great, great set of clips. Too now that I think about it. Anyways, Hayden supposedly he says all of a sudden one day waking up in a cold sweat, felt super guilty about domestically spying on United States citizens. He pulls the plug. On domestic surveillance. And then 9-11 happens. Darn it. They just would have, they would have had the, so anyways, 9-11 happens. They're like, well, now we got to monitor everything. So they turn it back on on a much bigger scale. And then it grows from there. And now we have the beast that we have today. So that's General Hayden. Uh, and I, I would, uh, with that context, I just would also remind you that he's a very smart man. He's very, and so his analysis is actually kind of interesting to listen to. And he apparently has gotten away with all of this. He just, now he's a pundit that goes around and talks on the news. Uh, and he does seem to keep coming back. They seem to like his analysis. And, uh, you know, for what it is, uh, he does seem to speak fairly clearly and intelligently on these topics. So here's him discussing uh, Mr. Trump's stance on Ukraine and Crimea. This is scary stuff. And it's yet more proof why Donald Trump is temperamentally unfit and totally unqualified to be commander in chief. General Michael Hayden was director of the CIA quote. and the National Security Agency. Good morning. Morning. Do you agree with Hillary Clinton? Uh, well, it certainly was a fact-free description of what's going on in the Ukraine. Okay, but uh, do you agree with what she said? Totally unfit and unqualified to be commander in chief, well, based that, on the experience you have. That would be that would add to a body of evidence that would actually draw one towards that conclusion. We'll Is that not a great way to answer that question? I mean, legitimately, because Charlie's pushing him pretty hard, and he. At no point has endorsed Trump, doesn't seem to, in other interviews, does not seem to like Trump. I want to, I mean, that was pretty clever. Description of what's going on in the Ukraine. Okay, but uh, do you agree with what she said? Totally unfit and unqualified to be commander in chief well, based that, on the experience you have. That would be, that would add to a body of evidence that would actually draw one towards that conclusion. We'll see what happens over the life of the campaign. There is a chance to recover. But right now, that statement there, again, devoid of facts and divorced from traditional American traditional European policy. I mean, that was the violent change of a European border with the annexation of Crimea, which he says he might be fine with at some point in the future. I mean, beyond just what's happening in the Ukraine, can you actually live uh, with, with, with a Europe in which you can change borders based upon popular sovereignty? How, how much more violent would the, would the continent become? What do you make of the overall picture here? Vladimir Putin saying nice things about Donald Trump. Donald Trump saying nice things about Vladimir Putin, that he's a better leader than Barack Obama. 
all of this stuff. What's the what's the take the big takeaway here? The, the, the big takeaway is that to the degree we have developed elements of strategy with, with within the Trump campaign, one of those elements is a far more cooperative relationship with the Russian Federation than we have had since the invasion of Georgia in in 2008. It also appears to be a fairly cost free engagement uh, for the Russians. So again, it's interesting, right? The the position here is if Trump is in any way level-headed approach with Russia, that's radical. That's dangerous. Having aggressive stances, rhetoric, upping the sanctions, saying Putin hacked the DNC publicly. That that's the that's the safe play. That's the that's the rational play. In what dimension? In what 1984 dimension does that make sense? With the Americans forgiving previous Russian sins and allowing certain forms of Russian behavior in return for Russian cooperation on other joint problems. Now, look, I like the part about the Russian cooperation, but I do think actions have consequences. The occupation of Crimea, the continued occupation of portions of the Ukraine, the threat to the Baltics, the unacceptable behavior against American naval and ships and aircraft, the cyber attacks, which are pretty certain the Russians are are carrying out. I mean, you can't have this accommodation while that kind of behavior continues. Three questions about the the Russian uh, cyber attack. Number one, uh, are we convinced they did it? Is everybody in the intelligence community convinced they did it? Now, how can you come out and say, yes, you can't? There's no way, really. Nobody knows. So we can't just say yes. But he's got a clever answer still. First, two, did they do it because they want to manipulate the election? Three, <laughs> Look I at Charlie go. Okay. I don't retaliate. One, I, think that- I like that. Oh, my God. Let's listen to that again. Because answer number, question number three answers question number one. Uh, that's This is brilliant CBS baiting the witness questioning. They are the best at this. The behavior continues. Three questions about the, the Russian uh, cyber attack. So listen to this. Three is going to answer one here in just a moment. And this is such shit. This is, you can't start the conversation from this position. It doesn't allow for rational discussion. One, uh, are we convinced they did it? Is everybody in the intelligence community convinced they did it first. Two, did they do it because they want to manipulate the election? Three, how do we retaliate? Okay. Number one, I think they did it. You saw Jim Clapper out at Aspen kind of stop one brick shy of a load from saying it and then cutely say that only a limited number who could do this. So I think the consensus is... Which is bullshit. Only a limited number? Uh, uh, okay. If you consider maybe 500,000 people uh, in the U.S. alone, maybe 900,000 people, almost a million people that would have the skills to do something like penetrate the DNC network. Give me a break. That's the FBI director, too. Are they really that incompetent? Are they truly, truly that incompetent that they don't know that basic fact? You saw Jim Clapper out at Aspen kind of stop one brick shy of a load from saying it and then cutely say that only a limited number who could do this. So I think the consensus is they did do this. And in the cyber domain, sometimes you can't get to that court of law beyond all reasonable doubt. That's a true statement. But just to put it in perspective of how insecure the DNC network was, see what they're doing, the reason... This isn't really discussed much because it happened so quickly that we haven't really had a chance to talk about it. But see, what's happening here is the hackers equal sophisticated because they had access to the network for an, for an extreme length of time. So access for a length of time equals sophistication in newspeak parlance. Do you understand? That's where the sophistication comes from. They used pre-made kits that you can buy online. They didn't custom create software to access the DNC. They didn't exploit unknown things. They took advantage of known exploits and used known kits out on the dark web, quote unquote. 
So it's ridiculous, first of all, to say that only super sophisticated hackers could have done this. And then the part that we are not discussing enough is access and length of time are two different things. How you get access to the network really depends on what the vulnerabilities of the network were. If you have a CMS that has a plugin that has an issue, like the Ubuntu forums did recently, then you can get owned through something that is not even directly under your control. You add a plugin that gives some functionality or it's a main functionality that you would turn on that maybe only some people use that doesn't get as much exposure and somebody goes, they knock on that and they exploit that and now they've got your database. They dump your database, they've got your usernames and they got your passwords because you weren't using very good encryption. This is not sophisticated. This is something that if you know how to use the internet, if you know how like TCP IP ports work and things like – and you're familiar with the Telnet program and you know how to Google for things, if you have never done this in your life, within three hours, you could be doing this. This is not that sophisticated. I used to, I used to do this. I used to do penetration testing. And I, there are distributions of Linux out there that come completely loaded with all of the tools you need to do this. So this, so how you get access is completely separate from how long you have access. Now, how long you have access generally is just two factors, how you're connecting and how shitty the, the network security is. Those are your factors. If they have poor local security, if they don't have proper logging and network monitoring and intrusion detection – if they don't have standard things like this, and if they're not keeping their systems up to date, and if they're not using internally good p- password policies, and they're not and using good account hygiene, if they're failing to meet all of the standard IT things you do to have a secure network, and I've done those things, that's what gives somebody long-term access to your network. It does not, again, necessarily make them sophisticated. If I came back and re-logged into an old client of mine, because I know all their vulnerabilities, uh, once a month for 12 months, that doesn't make me a sophisticated hacker. Nothing about that is sophisticated. Length of access does not equal sophistication. So, and, and because it's sophisticated, which we're not even discussing why it's sophisticated, but because we are just starting the conversation with the fact that it's sophisticated, only certain nation states that have unbelievable budgets could finance an attack like this. Like, like as if it's a Stuxnet. It's so ridiculous. So that's why when you hear all of this conversation happening, none of these people know what they're talking about, so they can't actually put it adequately into perspective. So even smart people start to think, well, if it's super sophisticated, it must be a nation state because we do sophisticated things. And then cutely say that only a limited number who could do this. So I think the consensus is they did do this. And in, in, in the cyber domain, sometimes you can't get to that court of law beyond all reasonable doubt. You've got to act even in the face of some lingering doubt. So I, Screw evidence. You just got to act. I think the Russians did it. Why did they do it? Uh, first of all, the stealing of the data, Charlie, that's generally accepted state espionage. All right. That's an important political party in an important country. This is another reason why the argument works super good, actually, is because it, it, it does seem like something the Russians might be interested in. And uh, I would even bet that if the Russians didn't directly do it, if somebody shopped it on the black market, Probably every intelligence agency out there would want to buy it. That's probably to be expected. I would imagine the Russians are in that group. So that's another reason why the logic works so well for this deferral. It's really brilliant. Now, if you take it to its absolute extreme, it actually looks super bad for the, for the DNC and the Hillary group. But anyways, right now, if you think about it, if you, if you accept on its face that it was super sophisticated Stuxnet-level Stuxnet long-term hacking – 
then it's rational that it must be a nation state. And if you accept that it's a nation state, it's rational that it would be Russia because we've been very aggressive towards Russia with sanctions and whatnot. So all these things so work perfectly together. Each little bit of information connects to the each uh, – all the dots connect and paint a beautiful picture. This seems totally reasonable and easy to understand. Generally accepted state espionage. All right. That's an important political party in an important country. Stealing that stuff is what big nations, including our own, do to other big nations. They did something else, though. They weaponized the information. Ooh, I love that. I love that. Like the way I love stepping on a rusty nail. I love that. I love it so much. They weaponized it because they gave it to that fucker Assange. They weaponized it, you guys. It's dangerous. They've done something that we would never do. They crossed us. They crossed a secret line. They did something else, though. They weaponized the information. (laughs) They used the information to, at at a minimum, play with our heads. I I really don't think. I like this one, too. This is what they're doing, guys. They're not even. See, they're not smart. I'm not going to give them that. They're not smart. They just want to mess with your mind, man. He's got the wherewithal, the wisdom, the cleverness to use the data to affect the outcome of the campaign. I get it. Putin. Putin. Mm -hmm. I think he's just playing with our heads. I love it. He thinks we do this to him all the time. He thinks we did the Orange Revolution. He thinks we did the Rose Revolution. We don't do those kinds of things. Our CIA doesn't have dedicated teams for regime change. He's trying to just give us a taste of of our own medicine. With regard to, to our retaliation, you don't need to pull the trigger, so to speak, in the cyber domain. This becomes, this becomes part of that broad package of Russian behavior that I described a few minutes ago. A broad package of Russian behavior. Now, if, if you've been the director of the NSA and the CIA multiple terms, you suppose you're totally cut off from thinking and communications? Or you think maybe you're still looped in on some of the convos? You think maybe once you're part of the CIA, you're never part – you never leave the CIA? I think that is actually like a saying they have. So when, he's, when he talks like this, is he intentionally generating new memes? Is he passing along things in his analysis that he know to be true based on conversations? Is he completely bullshitting us? I don't know. But what he says to me here, I like the phrasing. It's a, it seems like such an empire, empire state way to think. This is the great nation looking out there at these rascals. Cyber domain. This becomes, this becomes part of that broad package, a package of Russian behavior that I described a few minutes ago requiring a broader, yeah. to my view, tougher American so what, response. Go ahead, yeah, I'm going to Oh, I'm sorry. I just didn't want to jump. Oh, okay. There are reports that there are going to be daily briefings for Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, security briefings. What if- He's already getting them. There's, they, there was a, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a press photo of Trump on the plane eating some KFC. And in the photo is a, is a briefing on Syria. Exactly. Does that mean? And do you think this is a good idea for both candidates? It, it's time? a necessary idea. It, 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 it's not quite what the Constitution requires. It's not written down, but it is our protocol. You get you get the nomination of one or both of those those parties. You are entitled to some classified information. It was suggested that Donald Trump isn't that interesting? Fake briefings. Yeah, that no. Harry you can't, yeah, Harry Reid suggested that. Yeah. The sitting president has to treat both candidates. Perfectly equally. Charlie's like extra gruff. <laughs> no, Gail, they're not going to get daily briefings. Mm-hmm. They're too busy. They've got lots of other things going on. What kind of? How do you suppose that briefing goes? Does that does that briefing go? Uh, th- does a briefing go like this? Well, uh, Mr. Trump, the uh, moderate rebels uh, continue to fight 
the Assad regime and push for uh, democratic change in Syria? Or does the conversation go, well, the mercenaries that we have hired and armed uh, are continuing to fight the uh, elected president's uh, army. And uh, we suspect that if we continue to apply pressure uh, on Russia and on Assad on the ground, eventually we can achieve the political change to get Assad out of office that we need. So that way we can guarantee that the oil pipelines between here and everywhere else that we need oil to go to remain protected for the companies that we represent. Which particular dialogue do you suppose those daily briefings have? Do we end up with a president in office that actually knows what the hell's really going on? Or do we end up with a president who just buys, who's just been fed all of the lines, and so once the new president takes over, all of the bullshit of the last office is just now accepted history? Because the new administration has just been fed a summarized version of all of the manufactured bullshit from the past administration. Which... Which reality do you suppose it is? I leave it to you at home as a thought exercise. The sitting president has to treat both candidates perfectly equally. Now, Gail, they're not going to get daily briefings. Mm -hmm. They're too busy. They've got lots of other things going on. I suspect we may have a few, and it's just a few seminar-like discussions. This is going to look... The first of all, I think it's interesting that he said we. We may have a few. That's I found that to be interesting. And something tells me if they're seminar-like discussions, they're probably not getting into the nitty-gritty as to why we're financing terrorists, why we ship them Toyotas and communications equipment, why Turkey won't let us get into our military base. Those kinds of things are probably not totally dived down into. I suspect we may have a few, and it's just a few seminar-like discussions. This is going to look look like one of those think tank seminars on steroids this oh, isn't geez. going to be let me show you the covert actions mm. we've got underway in this in this in this part of the world look so what do you they're bit, maybe at a point he they're said it's busy. not going to be didn't he did he just say that I, he i don't think i caught that the first time i watched this. the covert actions mm. we've got under- hold on i need to go just one more step further because I, I don't think i got that last time this is going to look look like one of those think tank seminars on yeah. steroids this isn't going to be let me show you the covert actions mm. we've got underway in this, this isn't going to be yeah so this is gonna so wow so these guys going into office and, and, and now and now gals um, well, I suppose Hillary probably does know. She probably knows what's up, doesn't she? I mean, she, a lot of this, a lot of the stuff that started in Syria and Libya started. So between the two of them, Trump will be going into office, either being able to piece together what he can figure out on his own or what his own sources tell him. And then the whitewashed bullshit seminar that the intelligence agencies will be giving him, which are, are probably so classified that they're so barely classified that it's probably the stuff that uh, that officials just leak to the press anyways. This, in this in this part of the world. Look, so what do you they're, they're, they're at a point. They're busy. All right. But even candidates less talkative than Mr. Trump are frightened about trying to sort out in their minds when they get the unexpected question right. from it's hard for them to keep straight what's top secret and what's known to the to the little people and so we just we don't want to burden them with reality we don't want them to accidentally say what's really going on versus the bullshit that we've been feeding you so it's really kind of in our best interest not to tell them what the hell's going on because it's not constitutionally required as i said at the opening of the segment trying to sort out in their minds when they get 
the unexpected question right. from folks like yourself. Did I learn that in the briefing right. or did I read that in the paper? And they want to keep those challenges to a minimum until Election Day. But just to be clear, you have some intelligence uh, officials who have suggested and it's been reported that they are concerned about Donald Trump having these briefings. You have Paul Ryan suggesting that he's concerned about Hillary Clinton right. having these briefings. What's your level of concern about each of them having these briefings? Well, first of all, that saying those things is unprecedented. This this is, should be normal. This is just the routine run of the American electoral process. So you've got two candidates who, who know fooling have, have actually done and said things that make serious people question their suitability okay, but, for but, getting but, the information, uh, but they're uh, going to get it. There are briefings and there are briefings. Do you think they're going to... There are briefings and then there are briefings. I mean, he is really gruff right now. He is... He needs. He's been filling in for Scott Pelley, and I think he is getting worn out. They're going to get it. Their briefings and their briefings. Do you think they're going to tell these candidates everything they tell the president of the United States? The briefings between now and the election will be very vanilla. They will be classified. Ah, very vanilla. Uh huh. Great. That's what I like for the person I'm electing. Light. Yeah, exactly. Somebody on Wednesday morning after the first Tuesday after the first Monday is getting the full Monday. So that's interesting. I didn't actually know that's how it works. So we've all probably imagined that it's day one, they walk into office, they go into a dark room, um, the projector starts up, it's a Zapruder film from a different angle, and they say, okay, Mr. President, here's your, here's your first briefing. I always thought that was on day one. Turns out it's on day three. So that's, that's actually a bit of insight I never knew. And then listen to the way he thinks about how you get access to classified information. In Hayden's world... There is legitimately a process you could go through to get access to the classified information of the government. Very vanilla. They will be classified light. Yeah, exactly. Somebody on Wednesday morning after the first Tuesday after the first Monday is getting the full Monday, is getting the president's daily brief. You take Ohio, you take Florida, you 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 take Pennsylvania. You take Ohio, you take Florida, you take Pennsylvania. That's all you need come back to, to get the secrets. To the... That's all you need to get the secrets, everybody. And see, Charlie is so is so dead set on owning the room that he doesn't let him finish a brilliant statement. I love the way that the guy that used to run the NSA and the CIA thinks about how you get access to classified information. It almost makes me want to just frickin' run for president so I can answer all these questions. But then they probably wouldn't let me do the show. You take Ohio, you take Florida... You, you get you the take whole Pennsylvania. Thing. That's all you need. Come back to you Ukraine. Get the secrets. To the Ukraine one more time. I mean, Paul. Um, to the Ukraine. Um, there is a story that Paul Manafort had a relationship with Yanukovych, who fled to Russia, right, as you right. know. And Putin has always said he thought the USA and the CIA were involved in that revolution. Right. Um, Putin said that. Is there anything here we should look at? The circumstantial evidence really does suggest an interesting plot line. But, Charlie, to my mind, that's all you have to date. That would be just one hypothesis. This could very well be the candidate's own view that he likes to sidle up to the tough guy, the guy who makes decisions, and I can deal with the tough guy. Now, that can be fed by the relationships that other members of his campaign team have had before. Oh! Putting a little meme out there for you to wonder, is somebody in Trump's campaign a Russian lover? Oh, scandal! It's been a hard week for Mike Pence, Trump's VP pick, because he's got to play the uh, the buzzkill. He's got to he's got to play the rational guy when Trump goes off. He's got to he's got to toe the party line. He's the party guy. And uh, Pence also has a son in the military, so this has been particularly rough. 
Time and time again, Trump has disrespected our nation's armed forces and veterans and his disrespect for Mr. Khan. This is a mom who has a son in the military who's serving, speaking at a town hall with Mike Pence. And I'll play this for you so you get a feel because you, if you're like me, I'm not super familiar. I am familiar with Mike Pence. Mostly only read him about him, though, and uh, read some of the things he's written in op-eds and whatnot. So I have not had a chance to really watch him in a public setting and how he reacts. This is a difficult position because the crowd's about to get wild. Well, not wild, but they're about to get aggressive because she's about to say something anti-Trump. And that's a Trump thing that he's at. Um, but he also has a son who's a service member. And so I was really curious, how is he going to walk this line between backing up his running mate and being respectful to her son, his son, and the military while the crowd's getting super upset. And I'll leave it for you to judge how he did. And his family is just an example of that. Will there ever be, will there ever be a point in time when you're able to look at Trump in the eye and tell him enough is enough? You have a son in the military. It's okay. How do you tolerate his disrespect? Well, I thank you for the question. It's all right. It's all right. What difference does it make? You hear they're all saying, what difference does it make that they're all quoting Hillary? That's, of course, a famous Hillary quote when she was being questioned about Benghazi. What difference does it make at this point? Folks, that's what uh, that's what freedom looks like. And that's what freedom sounds like. She holds up a picture of her son. And she also has a Trump Pence sign herself. I don't I'm, I'm sure when they walked in, they probably handed them. It is. Let me just say, first, I want to honor your son's service to the country and your family's service to the country. I truly do. Man. Having spent time with our nominee, I have never been around someone more devoted to the armed forces of this country, more devoted to the families of our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marine, and coast guard, and no one more devoted to the veterans in this country. Donald Trump supports our soldiers and supports our veterans like no other leader in my lifetime. That's a pretty strong endorsement from him. I don't know if it's 100 percent believable, but Trump has, you know, especially in the last year, been more vocal about support for the troops. That's a tough line for Pence to walk, though, isn't it? I feel bad. That's that's got to be awkward. Now, the other rumor, of course, going around is uh the Trump campaign's in total disarray. People are suicidal. There are reports out there uh, that your campaign is in turmoil, that you personally, as campaign chairman, have lost control of your candidate. Your response? Well, first of all, the candidate is in control of his campaign. That's number one. And I'm in control of doing the things that he wants me to do in the campaign. Uh, the turmoil, this is another Clinton narrative that's been put out there uh, and that the media is picking up on. I kind of buy that. I kind of do buy that. I do. I sort of buy that because they've actually well, he's he'll he'll talk about it, but they've they've actually just raised like 80 million bucks, which is pretty good for them. It's not talked a lot about, but he did get a post uh, RNC bump after the conference. He got a bump. So in the last week, we've just announced our 50 state chairman in the in the, in the states. Uh, we've uh, announced the record amount of money that we raised in July. Uh, Mr. Trump has appeared this week in front of crowds that are overflowing onto the streets. Uh, so the campaign is in very good shape. Uh, you know, we are organized. We are moving forward. And the Clinton machine may not like it, but we're, we're prepared for the fight. Uh, Trump today, I think it was, said that the campaign is more organized and together than it's ever been. 
Another awkward thing for Pence this week as a party guy was when Trump didn't endorse Ryan. And let's Ryan. start with sure. what happened with Donald Trump Pence not endorsing Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House. You're a former member of Congress. What's going on there? Well, I think what Donald Trump said is he's not there yet. These are two men that are building a good relationship. And uh, <laughs> I'm very confident uh, after Donald Trump's elected president and Paul Ryan's uh, reelected to Congress and as Speaker of the House, these two men are going to do great things to restore this country at home and abroad. Why are you confident about that after yeah, seeing why? the exchanges between the two of them? That's a good question. Well, look, it, it, politics, you know, they, it, it takes time to have relationships together. You know, I am strongly support Paul Ryan, strongly strong, strong. endorse his reelection. He's a long-time friend. He's a strong conservative leader. I believe we need Paul like Ryan eyes. in leadership in the Congress of the United States my to rebuild our military, to strengthen our economy, um, and to ensure that we have the kind of leadership uh, in this country that will make America great again. Uh-huh. We understand your point of view on it, and having sure the, the presidential nominee maybe not being as forthcoming with that same view leads some to believe that the Republican Party is a little out of step with each other. You know, um, maybe with some of the 80 million bucks, they could get one of those Skype HDX machines or something. Or maybe use Google Hangouts. Assange seems to be able to figure that out. I wonder why the Trump campaign can't. Uh, I, I love I love the, the uh, Putin bromance. This clip already covers some clips that you've heard already. But I really like the whole package as a complete piece. So I didn't want to cut it up. I want you to hear the whole package. Uh, it was one of my favorites that went out this week. And I believe this is, let me see, I think Donald it's ABC. Trump is yep. also facing ABC. questions tonight about his relationship with uh-huh. Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Trump saying for years he did have a relationship with the Russian president. But when asked now, here's ABC's David Wright. Donald Trump insists he won't be pushed around by Vladimir Putin. People say, oh, Trump's going to be weak with Putin because Putin is saying nice things about me. Okay. All right. Just two years ago, Trump claimed he had a relationship with Putin. Do you have... A relationship with Vladimir Putin, a conversational relationship, or anything that you feel you have sway or influence over his government? I do have a relationship. But now, a complete reversal. I have no relationship with Putin. But if you have no relationship with Putin, then why did you say in 2013, I do have a relationship? In 2014, he has said nice things about me over the years. Trump tells George he's had no contact with Putin, not even a phone call. I don't think I've ever met him. I never met him. I don't think I've ever met him. You would know it if you did. I think so. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, (laughs) Yet? You know, I was in Moscow a couple of months ago. I owned the Miss Universe pageant. And they treated me so great. Putin even sent me a present, beautiful present with a beautiful note. I spoke to all of his people. I was in Russia. I was in Moscow recently. And I spoke indirectly and directly with President Putin. Indirectly and directly. have been nicer. What exactly is your relationship with Vladimir Putin? I have no relationship with Putin. The Clinton campaign views this bromance between Trump and Putin, real or exaggerated, as scary stuff, calling these conflicting statements more examples of how he's temperamentally unfit to be president. David? David Wright with us as well tonight. So there you go. So uh, a couple more. I know this is, seems like it might be going on long, all the Trump stuff, but we do have one last, well, maybe two clips. I just, this clip, I think uh, if you're a, well, I don't, I if you were here for the pre-show, I, I talked a little bit about uh, some of my thoughts about Trump's uh, 
um, stances that he's uh, gotten a lot of in a lot of trouble for this week. This next clip, though, uh, does a much better job. So if you're getting a little burned out on the Trump stuff, just stick with me a little bit longer because I think I really want you to hear this one. Looking Great to blame to someone for the cyber attack, Russia was more than convenient. But is this a new Cold War or political pot stirring? Does this accusation have any basis in fact? And if not, could it harm? Could it cause real harm? Here to discuss is Stephen Cohen, an American scholar of Russian studies at both Princeton and New York universities. Professor Cohen, does Vladimir Putin indeed have a dog in our U.S. fight? Vladimir Putin wants to end the new Cold War, and so do I. Let me say I have no ties to the Trump campaign or the Clinton campaign. But if I were to write your headline for you today, I tried on the way down here. I couldn't fit it on the front page, but it would go like this. We're in a new and more dangerous Cold War with Russia. We're approaching a Cuban missile crisis nuclear confrontation with Russia. The uh, newscaster is becoming visibly agitated when you look at this. And uh, this Stephen Cohen has followed Russia for and, and, and our and our relationship with them forever. And I I can't disagree with his assessment so far. It does feel like we are entering an aggressive Cold War where we are reactionarily blaming them for DNC hacks and everything in between. And we're using Putin's name as a way to generate a crowd response in the election. And it's a button we're pushing with the public, the Putin scare button, like we used to do with bin Laden's name. This is dangerous, I think. Both along Russia's borders and possibly over Syria, there is absolutely no discussion, no debate about this. In- He's talking about uh, – because it's cutting out a little bit there. He's talking about NATO's increasing border armament, the rotating troops, the new missiles. In media, including, forgive me, on CNN. Oh. Then along comes unexpectedly Donald Trump who says something that suggests he wants to end the new Cold War, cooperate with Russia in various places, what we used to call detente. And now, astonishingly – the media is full of what only can be called Neil McCarthyite charges that he's a Russian agent, mm. that he's a Manchurian candidate, yep, that's that actually he's been Putin's said. client. So the real danger is what's being done to our own political process. This is a moment when there should be, in a presidential year, a debate, because Mrs. Clinton's position on Russia seems to be very different, has been a long time. Clump, uh, Trump speaks elliptically. Clump. You got to piece together what he says. Trump does speak elliptically. That is very true. And I think that's I think that might be another disconnect between me and the audience because um, he is so he is so clippable and the media clips him so tightly that if you don't hear his entire statement in the context and hear the complete sentence or several of his other sentences where he said other parts of his thought on it. You can really, you can really un- misunderstand what he's saying, and it's bad. It, it, it should be. I am amazed that he hasn't been able to to have as many business, quote unquote, deals and uh, a TV show when he doesn't speak in complete sentences and thoughts. He jumps around. He truly does speak elliptically, and you have to follow all of it. Which, in the age of tweeted out as a video clip on Twitter for CNN's account, it's impossible. Uh, Trump speaks elliptically. You got to piece together what he says, but he seems to want a new American policy toward Russia. And considering the danger, I think we as American citizens deserve that debate and not what will be, will be given in the media today, including on the front page of the New York Times. I end by saying that these 
uh, reckless uh, branding of Trump as a Russian agent, most of it is coming from the Clinton campaign, and they really need to stop. Okay, I don't know where to begin in unpacking all that you just offered to us, but... Douche! <laughs> Did he really just do that? <laughs> oh, I think Cohen's like, well, I mean, that's the way it is, man. He just kind of, she just kind of like, you know, does the, well, deal with it kind of look. Like, he's just kind of, oh, raise his shoulder, I don't know. I don't know where to begin in unpacking all that you just <laughs> offered to us, but I guess I'll start as follows. As one who can't match your credentials, here's what I see from the outside looking in. I see Donald Trump having said to the New York Times just within the last 10 days that he's not so sure he would stand with NATO allies. And I'm paraphrasing, he'd want to know whether they've been pulling their own weight. The import of his comments seems to suggest that he could provide Putin with, with unfettered, undeterred access to the Baltic states whose independence he resents. And so it all seems to fit, therefore, that Putin would have a dog in this fight, would want to see Donald Trump win this election so that he, Putin, could do as he pleased in that part of the world. CNN is covering that. I mean, I, I have to defend the network in that regard, but, oh, but why does that not all fit? And why does it not all fit with the headline in today's New York Times, which says Russian spies said to hack Clinton's bid? Said to have, said to have, that's not news, that's an allegation. James Clapper, I don't know who hacked. Everybody hacks everybody. I mean, we hacked into uh, uh, Chancellor Merkel's cell phone. We learned that from Snowden. The Israelis hacked, the Americans hacked, the Chinese hacked, everybody hacked. The point is, is that, and I know you said it not to defend it, but as a provocation, that let's take the position you just set out that Putin wants to end the independence of Baltic states. There's no evidence for that, none whatsoever. The point is, is that on the networks, and I'm not blaming CNN, and there's no, none on any network. There's none in the New York Times. I'm old enough to remember that during the last Cold War, all these issues were debated in that you had a proponent of two, each point of view. But you've now got accusations both against Putin, both against Trump. He has followed See, what's great about Cohen here, Stephen Cohen, is you, he's, he writes for The Nation. He's obviously uh, – I think he's – I don't know for sure. I don't really follow him closely, but I believe he's, he writes for The Nation. He's probably a left-wing progressive. However, his entire academic focus – he's 77 years old. Uh, he doesn't look it here, but he is 77 years old. Um, his entire academic focus has been on Russia's recent history from about the early 1900s to today. And the man is the walking expert on the face of the planet, at least in the West, face of the planet in the West. So his analysis, his analysis is taking the entire historical context from the early 1900s, world wars, the Cold War, all of that into account when he's speaking here. This is a massive, this man has massive insights into this nation and our relationships over the past with them. He really knows what he's talking about. During the last Cold War... All these issues were debated in that you had a proponent of two, each point of view. But you've now got accusations both against Putin, both against Trump, which needed to be debated. The most, let's go back to what you said, that Trump said about NATO. Trump said early on, he wanted to know, 60 years after its foundation, what was NATO's mission today? A hundred policy walks in Washington since the end of the Soviet Union 25 years ago, have asked the same question. 
is NATO an organization in search of a mission? Yes. <laughs> for example, it's a mission for the last 20 years has to expand ever closer to Russia. Yep. So people have now asked, why isn't it fighting international terrorism? Why, why isn't, why, uh, wait, why is it the U.S. that's leading strikes in Libya and in Iraq and Afghanistan, Lebanon and all over Africa? Why, why isn't it, wait, why, why isn't it NATO? What is NATO doing? Just antagonizing Russia all the time? That, I mean, do you guys grok how much money and effort we put into NATO all the time? Are we just using NATO to sell weapons? Is that what we're doing? Because why isn't why isn't terrorism a NATO problem more? Why isn't that a NATO? Uh, uh. Now asked, why isn't it fighting international terrorism? That's a legitimate question. But we don't debate it. We don't ask it. We just say, oh, Trump wants to abandon NATO. I don't defend Trump. Trump raises questions. And instead of giving an answer to the substance of the question, we denounce him as some kind of criminal agent. That's bad for our politics, but still okay, worse. Okay, well, he hasn't... Given he the hasn't, danger... Yeah, get him out of here. Get him out. It. I, I love this conversation. Oh, yeah, you love it. I could it. go on for hours with you on this subject. I wish time afforded that. I've not regarded him in that respect. And I think that we've just had this conversation. The there you go. You had your time. You had your time. We've now had the conversation. Conversation that you say is so desperately lacking. Thank you for being here. And you're done. Well, they let him say it at least, right? Okay. So that was pretty good, right? I told you I wanted to play that one for you. Let's see. Let's just check this now one with out. Our political analyst Jonathan Carl and Matthew Dowd. And John, let me begin with oh, you. Oh, yeah, this you is interesting. In this campaign, we've never seen anything like this before. New but meme. Right now you've New got meme. panic at the top ranks of the Republican Party. Panic at the. Okay, so we're going to let panic at the top ranks of the Republican Party. Trump seems to be at war with the entire party establishment. He's at war. Okay, war. Right now. And, and you're reporting something pretty startling right now. You've got senior officials inside the Republican Party actually exploring what to do if Trump drops out? This is absolutely unprecedented. First of all, I am told that RNC Chairman Reince Priebus is furious. They are so elated and excited over this story. You can see it in George, and you, he even stutters. He's so excited, he even stutters. Actually exploring what to do if Trump drops out? Look at, look at, they're so excited. Do you see it? Actually exploring what to do if Trump drops out? This is absolutely unprecedented. First of all, I am told that RNC Chairman Reince Priebus is furious that he has had more multiple discussions with Trump, telling him he needs to drastically change course. But here's the news. I am told that senior officials at the party are actively exploring what would happen if Trump dropped out, how to replace him on the ballot. The answer, George, is they can't force him out. He would have to go out voluntarily. And then it would be the 168 members of the RNC, through a complicated process, they would pick a new candidate. So here's my theory on, well, I'm finished. I think he's almost done. It would have to happen by early but September. But they think yeah, that's a real go. possibility? They, he, he is so unpredictable right now. He is so, they are so unable to control his message that, uh, that they just don't Meme. know. And they clearly think it is a possibility, which is why they're looking at these rules. So, so this is either a super clever play to his base to say that he's, on, he's in control. Or, because that, that is sort of one of the subtexts of what he's saying there, is that Trump's, nobody's pushing Trump around. Nobody puts Trump in a corner. But I would actually wonder if it's really just a matter of he's getting pissed about what they want him to do. And he's like, I'm ch you don't want me to do it my way. I quit. And they're like, OK, no, sorry, Donald. You can do it your way. You can go after the cons. It's OK. And so they're scrambling. I, that's that could possibly be it. It also could just be once again, 
like we played earlier, a total Hillary campaign story that is BS, and George would be one of the first to run it. Let's keep that under consideration. We want to move now to politics and more troubles for the Democrats. There have been several high computer hacks in the past week and this morning concerns that Hillary Clinton's campaign was targeted as well. What could have been revealed? The FBI is now involved and ABC's Mary Bruce is has more on this fast moving investigation. Mary, good morning to you. Good morning. Well, first, the DNC was hacked, then concerns about another Democratic group and now Clinton campaign data. But the Clinton camp this morning is saying "Eh, not so fast. What the hell is going on? Are they was there a hack? Is there just somebody posting something online? They're not even being clear on what's happened. This morning, concerns about Russian hackers meddling in the U.S. election are growing. This just feels like a bump. This feels like they're bumping the story to get it back in the cycle because the con story has been running too hard. And so they're, they're bumping. First, the DNC was hacked. Now it turns out Clinton campaign data fell victim too. No official government spokesperson, no administration official, including Obama himself, James Comey. None of them, when asked, have actually come out and said Russia did the hacking. It has not been confirmed by any official in any official capacity. The only main camp that says it's Russia remains to be three experts, two of which I I believe were hired by the DNC directly, and one which just reviewed their evidence, which they're still not even, uh, that's not even clear on that, and the Clinton campaign is the other source. These are our sources for the Russians did the hack, and when officials are asked, "Eh, no, we, we we can't say that yet. But the campaign says its own computers were not attacked, saying they have found no evidence that our internal systems have been compromised. They do admit a DNC computer program, which the campaign uses, was accessed in the initial hack, but say any information gained was publicly available. So were were they hacked and did they have their programs accessed? I like how it's, yeah, we were totally penetrated. They got access to our network and they even got access to some of our programs, whatever the, the how do you get access? What are, they, are, they, are they doing an SCP and copying the binary over to their local machine and running it? How do they get access to your program? What the f*** does that even mean? But, so, so, but it's not a big deal because it wasn't public data. So you, you, you don't have to worry about that. You don't, yeah, I mean, sure, they got access to our network. They got in far enough where they could actually somehow get access to one of our programs. But because that program's data was public information, you know, it's just stuff we Googled and compiled about people. Yeah, it's not a big deal. We don't need to, you don't need to say it's not a big deal. It's still your still network was still breached. The, the, the breach still happened. Any information gained was publicly available. Nothing personal no, like fine. supporters, social security or credit card numbers. But the Trump campaign doesn't seem to be buying it, saying in a statement, this seems to be a problem wherever Hillary Clinton goes. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And what if it was the Trump campaign? What if the story is about the Trump campaign? Do you think the media would be accepting that line? Do you think they just, well, it, it just had public data in there. Yeah, I mean, they, got, they hacked us. But do you think they would take that from the Trump campaign? Of course not. Hopefully this time there wasn't classified or top secret information that puts American lives at risk. This after an embarrassing email hacking scandal at the DNC led to political mayhem. Forcing the party chair to resign at her own convention. All signs point to Russia, and now the FBI is broadening its investigation to include another Democratic group, the House Democratic Campaign Committee. House Democratic Campaign Committee, which I believe is like DCCCC or something. Russia in the past has tried to influence elections uh, uh, in Europe. This is Eric Schultz. He's uh, Josh Ernest Light, one of the uh, spokesholes for the White House. 
and um, we take seriously their past record on this. So because they have a past record on this, they take that seriously. Well, you know who else has a past record? Our intelligence agencies. Republican security experts are calling on Congress to launch its own investigation, saying the hack is an assault on the integrity of the entire American political process. Now, the CIA director is vowing to find out who is behind all this, saying overnight that interference in the U.S. election process is a very, very serious matter. CIA director, huh? Huh. Huh. That's interesting because it started with the FBI, but it ends with the CIA. Well, as Jennifer just reported, Mrs. Clinton also addressed the hacking of her campaign computers and the very real possibility that Russia was behind it. So far, the Obama administration has not publicly and directly blamed Moscow, despite cyber experts who say that Russia certainly is responsible. But if it oh, is proved okay. that cyber attacks are the work of Vladimir Putin or the Russian intelligence services, as you just heard Mrs. Clinton assert, what will that mean for the campaign and U.S.-Russian relations? Joining us now, as he does every Sunday at this time, Ambassador John Bolton. You know, usually uh, I just can't stand John Bolton, um, not only because of what he's done in the past, but uh, I just usually can't stand the way he talks, his cadence, his aggressive uh, posture. But he doesn't seem to have – when, it, when it's not about something that empowers the military-industrial complex, he doesn't seem to have that sort of aggressive nature. Um, and he's more tolerable. Former U.S. ambassador to the nation's senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and a Fox News contributor. Ambassador, do you think Russia did it? Well, I don't think we know enough at this point. Uh, let me be clear. I have no doubt whatever that Russia is ready, willing and able to engage in this kind of uh, cyber espionage. Uh, and I have no doubt that they have and probably have in the past tried to influence American politics. But let's be clear, that those generalizations uh, don't necessarily tell you a lot about this particular event. It is exactly stunning to me to listen to Hillary Clinton talk about the damage that can be done by a foreign intelligence service hacking into somebody's email. What was she thinking for the four years she was secretary of state? And indeed, that's where I think the real contrast comes here. You know, when FBI director Comey gave his press conference about Hillary's email problems. He said we had no direct evidence that her server was hacked by foreign operatives. And he said this, given the nature of the system and of the actors potentially involved, we assessed that we would be unlikely to see such direct evidence. That's a key point. Interesting. Huh. So wait a minute. When it's about Hillary's email server, you can't tell. But when it's about the DNC, you, you, you can I haven't thought about that, John. So that if the Russians hacked in, as uh, former Defense Secretary Gates and others have said, they didn't leave cyber fingerprints. But now we're told that the other Russian intelligence services or groups associated with them did leave cyber fingerprints in the DNC computers. But I just asked this question. Why did the Russians run the smart intelligence services against Hillary's server, but run the dumb intelligence services against the DNC? You, <laughs> you know what? Mustache there makes a good, good point. Why did it happen like that? It's <laughs> a great point. So if you'll excuse me. While we're talking about Hillary, I think uh, I think RT was uh, fill, fill in the uh, the, the uh, Hillary hate this week because 
Clinton Cash has been getting moderate views on YouTube, and uh, they they grab some clips. I'm not sure in which one of these. A couple Clinton Cash clips show up in here. So this is RT's continued uh, Hillary hate train this week, which has been kind of fascinating. One of the things that uh, Clinton Cash exposes is Hillary's deals that enabled Russia to pretty much lock down the uranium market, uh, which is uh, just great. And uh, that has been a massive, massive pro-Russia move that affects national security. It's kind of one of those huge deals that changed the geopolitical power structure. And uh, (laughs) so she has the balls to... uh, Accused Trump of being pro-Russian. And so I think RT has picked up on this and uh, it's gotten under their skin a bit. The Clinton campaign presents Donald Trump as dictator's best friend. In speeches and campaign ads, Trump himself is cast as a dictator to be. We are trying to elect a president, not a dictator. He's running this country, and at least he's a leader, you know, unlike what we have in this country. Saddam Hussein was a bad guy, right? You know what he did well? He killed terrorists. He did that so good. So Donald Trump stands accused of admiring dictators. While few mention Hillary Clinton had closely dealt with leaders widely seen as dictators and was even friends with some. Not long before Egypt's Hosni Mubarak was ousted, Mrs. Clinton said, quote, I really consider President and Mrs. Mubarak to be friends of my family. This is from 2009. Then, of course, the tide turned. People revolted against what they saw as an oppressive regime that consistently violated human rights. And Hosni Mubarak who had enjoyed U.S. support for many years, fell. When Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, she seemed very pragmatic about relations with Saudi Arabia. It looked like a real partnership. The State Department under Mrs. Clinton approved the sale of billions of dollars worth of advanced U.S. weapons to the Gulf nation. Her assistant secretary said the sales were, quote-unquote, a top priority for Hillary Clinton. Saudi Arabia's dismal human rights record and the fact that it is an authoritarian state apparently did not affect this partnership. By the way, Saudi Arabia has kindly donated up to 25 million dollars to the Clinton Foundation for charity purposes. Hillary Clinton's husband, Bill, has forged his own ties with leaders widely perceived as dictators. Paul Kagame of Rwanda cracked down on his opposition, armed and commanded a rebellion in neighboring Congo to gain control of the mineral-rich part of that country. Mr. Clinton praised and even awarded him. So this is where the Clinton cash clip uh, comes in, which I do have the movie linked in the show notes, but you can just search it on YouTube, too. And uh, it's from the author. It's a documentary put together by the author that wrote the book, Clinton Cash. And it talks about how the Clinton Foundation is used to buy political power with the Clintons. And uh, in there, they talk about how the Clintons have propped up um, um, the uh, – I don't know if he's a pres- – I don't know. I guess he's president of Rwanda. They probably say it here in the clip. They talk about a lot of deals that they've done through the Clinton Foundation uh, to get uh, political influence and power. It's, it's pretty fascinating. It's definitely worth your time. It's, it's a little heavy-handed. They overdid it. You know, they're obviously trying to draw uh, to, to paint a mood and a picture that is um, um, feels a bit heavy-handed and uh, feels like the tone is turned up to eleven a bit. But the facts remain, and that's you know worth your time. A special word of appreciation for the leadership of President Kagame. So, again, this is from that movie here, and uh, this is the portion – this is one of the things they've, they've pulled from Clinton Cash to uh, give you a little taste of what's going on. I'm not sure if RT's clips get pulled or not from, from playing that. Friend. Mm-hmm. 
Do you think that is PR, or do you think she's really concerned? Oh, I don't think she's really concerned. It's completely political. I mean, she's the best friend of many dictators. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's sort of pot calling the kettle black. Oh, ouch. Ouch, wait a minute now. Come on now. Come on now. Okay, maybe it's true. All right, maybe you got her. You got her. Uh, interesting, I have a clip in there. I'm going to leave it for uh, the audience at home to play on their own. But uh, Hillary, as part of her vetting process for her VP pick, asked her finalists to turn over their passwords for their social media accounts and their family members. Any resume they've ever done, any business gifts they've ever accepted, all had to be disclosed and turned over to Hillary for review. And uh, they came, and the finals came over to the Clinton house for dinner with the family. Pence, or Pence, oh boy. Oh boy. Kane did it a couple of times. Did you hear about the uh, bikini mural, uh, Clinton bikini mural? The street artist who's made headlines with his portrait of Hillary Clinton. Oh. He painted a wall in Melbourne with an image of the U.S. Democratic presidential candidate wearing a rather skimpy swimsuit. I think that's probably a little uh, generous. I think it's probably a little generous. However, the city complained that the mural violated gender equality principles, so to avoid legal action, the artist painted a kneecap over Hillary. Finally, the artist posted a photo of the wall online after it had been painted completely black with a caption, looks like the council wins. I caught up with the artist himself. There you go. You can watch the rest in the show notes if you want. But it's just, uh, or I mean, in the sink. Just, I thought that was somewhat amusing, I suppose. There's more clips in there, but I, I'm getting done with, uh, with the Hillary stuff and, just, and, and the Trump stuff. I think we've had enough. I want to purge and move on. But there is more in the sink. So uh, let's talk about Libya. Let's do an, let's do a little extended analysis on the Libya situation because it is opening up a new front. It is it is actually kind of a big deal. It is sort of historical. Today, the U.S. opened a new front in the war on ISIS with multiple airstrikes in Libya. Margaret Brennan is following this. Hundreds of ISIS fighters are battling to keep control of CERT Libya, the terror group's most significant base outside of Syria and Iraq. For the past six weeks, local militias have been trying to flush them out. Today, U.S. airstrikes provided relief. Harrier planes and a Predator drone strategically bombed an ISIS tank and two vehicles. Pentagon spokesman Peter Cook. Uh, They felt that there were specific capabilities we could bring to bear that they were limited in terms of their military capabilities being able to conduct. And one of the things that we're able to do uh, is to conduct precision airstrikes Mm. in an urban area like this, uh, reducing the risk of civilian casualties. Thousands of foreign fighters have poured into Libya since 2011, after a NATO-led air campaign forced dictator Muammar Gaddafi out, leaving a power vacuum. Today, Libya's new prime minister, in office just five months, said he asked the U.S. to continue to strike, but promised no American ground troops will join the fight. Charlie, U.S. special operators have been in Libya since January. And just days ago, President Obama reluctantly approved this significant expansion of the U.S. air campaign. When the world is threatened, the world needs help, it calls on America. And that's the story. 
The U.S. military has started a new campaign of airstrikes in Libya against an ISIS stronghold. This is a brand new U.S. military air campaign. It came at the request of the Libyan government, and according to defense officials, manned and unmanned U.S. military aircraft launched airstrikes, taking out one ISIS tank and several other vehicles. Drones! This will be the first of a number of airstrikes in the coming weeks or months. How does ISIS get tanks, guys? How does how does ISIS get tanks exactly? Also new at noon, we are learning that the U.S. has launched multiple air strikes against ISIS militants in Libya. Oh. Today, a government official said in a televised statement that U.S. warplanes attacked the ISIS stronghold of Sirte. The Defense Department said in a statement the strikes were in support of government forces fighting ISIS militants. Government this forces. This is the first time the U.S. military has helped Libya fight ISIS. Okay, there we go. And one more on the take here. What went through your head when you saw the headlines this morning just a few hours ago uh, that we did have a campaign against ISIS in Sirte? Yeah, well, listen, Jenna, welcome back, and congratulations. Thank Good you. Good to see you. Uh, listen, this is a bona fide safe haven, somewhere in the neighborhood of six to 7,000 ISIS fighters. That, that is significant. Those numbers tell us that. Assert is a northern city on the coast of, uh, of Libya, and they've been, in, they've been entrenched there for some time now. So there's been a ground attack going against them uh, from the U.N.-backed government of National Accord, the so-called GNA. And now airstrikes. Good thing we're getting some airstrikes in there Good supporting thing. those ground troops. The lesson we learned from 9-11 was that when we leave safe havens unattended, like we did in Afghanistan for years, despite al-Qaeda's attacks against us, we left it there unattended, we got 9-11. you got to go after these things. When they gather like that, you must conduct military operations to destroy them. Just got to clean things up before Hillary gets in office. Let's be honest, right? That's what's really going on. So we do need to talk probably a little bit, a little Zika, since that's also in the news with the Olympics. Good evening. There is an urgent and highly unusual new government warning out today for pregnant women after a jump in the number of confirmed cases of locally contracted Zika in South Florida. The 10 newly identified cases are attributed to homegrown mosquitoes. And have affected a neighborhood. Homegrown mosquitoes, guys. <laughs> how, how much would you love for that to be our title for the episode? I wish we could. That would be so great. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. But homegrown mosquitoes, the new threat facing America. And newly identified cases are attributed to homegrown mosquitoes and have affected a neighborhood in Miami, a neighborhood the CDC tonight is urging pregnant women to avoid. OMG, right OMG, now, OMG, an aggressive OMG. Zika testing program is underway there, along with a stepped-up offensive against mosquitoes. Even <laughs> so, health officials admit there are likely many more undiagnosed cases. NBC's Kerry Sanders has the latest from Miami. So actually, why don't we leave the rest of the audience at home so that way I can play another take on it? Because I like to get the multi-angle uh, and this is uh, another uh, another NBC one where I think they used the, the meme homegrown, I believe. Good evening. The experts said all along it was inevitable. And now today, confirmation of Zika being acquired not abroad or from travelers, but transmitted locally in the continental U.S. Come from on, say mosquito it. bites. Say it, though. And those same experts say there will be more in the face of a looming pandemic. The ground zero of the new infections, a neighborhood north of downtown Miami. Wow, they are really turning it up. And I want, to, I want to just remind you that the people that have Zika in Miami don't even have to go to the hospital. They have, their, their symptoms are fine. They're fine. And tonight, officials are taking extraordinary steps to determine how far it has gone and who may be at risk. 
NBC's Kerry Sanders is in Florida with late details. Now, if I believe my order to be correctly, I believe this clip aired on, uh, chronologically before the previous clip I played. So I think I think this is the clip where they drop the homegrown mosquito meme for the first time. But I'm not sure. I can't remember because it it's been a while. Early today, mosquito control teams hit the new Zika hot zones, now hot identified zone. in South Florida. Health officials say it is a first. One doctor calling this homegrown Zika. I am oh. directing the Department of Health to immediately begin contracting with commercial pest control companies to increase spraying and mosquito abatement efforts in the impacted area. Mosquitoes here in the United States likely biting one woman and three men, transmitting the Zika virus to all four. I'm almost certain that we're going to see more. The critical issue is how do you respond to that? Tonight, anxious calls. You have reached the Florida Zika virus information line. Please hold while your call is transferred oh to the gosh, next available healthcare professional. Tonight and this weekend, state health officials are going door to door in the suspect neighborhoods asking for urine samples, trying to narrow down the Zika threat. Wow! Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Oh, also, uh, by the way, Mr. Smith, uh, we picked up some THC. Uh, and uh, did you know that uh, that this is not a, uh, a an allowed substance in the state of Florida, Mr. Smith? Asking for urine samples, trying to narrow down the Zika threat. Unbelievable. How are you feeling today? And urgent questions from South Florida residents like Leonette Valera, 31 weeks pregnant. Avoid. Any places with standing water or the Zika threat um, now much more real. I've been avoiding the Windwood area where it's been reported. To prevent Zika entering the critical blood supply, this lab in St. Petersburg, Florida, is now testing donations, not just from South Florida, but from the entire state, Georgia, Alabama, and South Carolina. Zika has now been found in all but four states. All those cases contracted while traveling outside the United States, but these four Florida cases in Miami-Dade and Broward... Uh, if you have headphones on, you might be able to hear that, like, dude has a party going on while he's doing this voiceover in the background. Can you guys hear that? This is NBC News. I just, it astonishes me. It just astonishes me. Florida cases in Miami-Dade and Broward counties pose a new worry for health officials, that the threat is now here at home. Health officials say if you recently traveled to South Florida on vacation, you should not donate blood in or get pregnant in your hometown. There you go. There you go. There's your Zika update from your unfiltered show. Stay safe. Wear bug spray. And watch out for Chinese spies. A longtime FBI employee admits to acting as an agent for China and sending its sensitive information about the U.S. 46-year-old Kun Shan Chun worked as an electronics technician at the FBI's New York office. The naturalized U.S. citizen had top-secret security clearance. Under a plea deal, Chun is likely to get a prison sentence of about two years. There you go. Watch out, guys. Can never trust those electronic engineers. We've got only a couple of more clips. In fact, I'm kind of tempted to let the chat room choose. Ooh. Okay, chat room. Here are your choices. Air Force drops five th- from 5,000 feet Humvees. Or Tesla to buy Solar City. Your pick. Tesla 
or Humvees? You pick. Tesla or Humvees? The uh, U.S. Air Force just practicing. They're just dropping Humvees from 5,000 feet. And Tesla, they're buying Solar City for $2.6 billion. Ah, hmm. We want both, huh? Let's see. I'll pull. We'll see what we get. Chat room, your lucky day. We are going to play both clips just for you and Tesla our supporters. Tesla Motors has announced a deal to buy the solar panel company Solar City for $2.6 billion. The deal comes as Tesla Motors looks to transition from just an auto company to one with other renewable energy products. This means you may one day be able to charge your electric car with energy powered by solar panels on your roof. Shareholders have 45 days to approve the deal. Okay, there you go. That could be a big that could be a big story. That could be a big story one day. All right, so now I present you a feat that only the United States Well, that's probably not true at all. I shouldn't say that, but this is really something. This is footage from the US Air Force uh, of them just training, just doing a little training at, by dropping some uh, f- some Humvees. And uh, it's it's really something to be seen. The audio is kind of fun too, but it's really it's really a sight to be seen. So uh, this will be our, our last clip to wrap up the overtime. So they just start a whole tray of them, of Humvees just starts falling back. They just slide back nice and smooth. It's really well done. And then another rack of them goes. And you can see trailing behind them are parachutes, but they're not deployed yet. And they just go off. This is like a GoPro that they have mounted. Here comes the next rack of Humvees floating down. <laughs> look at them go. They just they just look like little balloons down there, peacefully floating down. Nobody's got toys like the U.S. military. Man. The U.S. military is uh, playing around with dropping down Humvees. That's how you do it. You got drones. You got you got your toys. But nobody, look at that. That is a hum. Those are Humvees floating down to the surface of the planet. Wait, they're not white Toyotas. No, this is just a practice. Uh, It's not. They're not. They saved the Toyotas later. Got it. That's right. Look at that. Look at that. Isn't that great? Thank you, supporters, for being here. Uh, we appreciate you guys for supporting the show. If you enjoyed this show, if you thought it was something worth supporting, patreon.com slash unfilters where you go to support it. This segment was de- dedicated to all you guys, and we'll see you back here next, next week. week. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.